here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts... Joe Lanza. X out. Go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Craig. <laughs> Give me a name. I like him. Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. I like in, him. in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Live Show Podcast. I'm Rich Craig, alongside, as always, King of Banter, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, what's going on? I'm excited. We're going to uh, legitimately do Dragon Gate talk uh-huh. for the first time mm-hmm. in, in I, maybe a year. I mean, I, I don't know it's last time. probably been close to a year since we've done like a proper detailed, not in, oh my God, it's, you know, we have two minutes in, or two hours and 40 minutes in, oh, we got to talk Dragon Gate, and then we just kind of rush through it. And it's, it's been, I mean, to be honest, it's probably the, the first Dragon Gate show I've watched in, you know, front to back in that time as well, and there's a lot of reasons why, and we'll get kind of into that. But yeah, it's a kind of a throwback show in that sense. We're doing Dragon Gate, we're doing Impact, like, it's, you know, that's like a 2014 show of ours, you know, this Dragon Gate Impact combo. Dragon Gate Impact and a WWE quarterly call. That's... <laughs> right, oh, right, we used to always do be the big quarterly call guys, so... That's a 2014 show, and then uh, there's a ton to do, there's G1 stuff to get to, there's... there's um, a lot of rumors about about wrestlers uh, jumping places. There's a there's a lot of indie stuff to get to. So the last few weeks we've really been uh, like we like to say spraying all fields with a lot of different topics. And 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 those those I think are the best shows. And I think that's the uh, that's the appeal of this of this podcast. I think is that people know. You know, did you hear my phone just go off? Yeah, did you get let a me, scoop? Is it a scoop? That's a scoop. Tell us a scoop right now. Let me let me say something about this. Okay. <laughs> Every single time I record um, the TV reviews or the G1 reviews over the last week or so, without fucking fail, my phone goes off because I always forget to turn the thing off or silence it before I start, and the streak has continued on this flagship. I don't know what the brain blockage is, but I, I for some reason, I, I, just, I, I forget to turn down the phone, and every time. And it's always, like, within the first five minutes. Right. How I, often do you get, like, text normally? Like, is that something that occurs on a normal basis? Like, every hour do you get one? Or is it something that only happens when you hit record on these things? I, I think I get a normal amount of text. I don't think I get a, a you know, an obscene amount or a, or, a, or a shockingly low amount. I don't know. I, I, I maybe get five to ten a day from, from, from the lovely Brittany. I maybe get two or three from, you know, couple close friends and maybe one or two from the family is that a normal amount of text messages i'd I say know. yeah it sounds about that's about right it's about what i do yeah 
but always right when I start a show. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's, it comes off totally unprofessional. I'm sitting here. I'm, 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 I'm talking up the show. I'm telling everybody how great it is. My stupid phone's going off. It's ridiculous. And I'm angry at myself. I'm mad, and I'm getting fired up. But there's no one to be mad at here but me. <laughs> See, now I'm surprised because I, I, don't, I don't know the last time I've actually had my phone on anything but vibrate. I, I just, I'm always good with the vibrate. Like, I have it on the... I have it on the table here, and like, yeah, if it vibrates, it makes a noise, and I'll usually like either put it on complete silent or throw it in my pocket or whatever. But I, I don't really ever keep the 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 ringer on. I, I'll be honest, I don't even know what my ringer sounds like. How do you know when you? Wait a minute, hold on a second. I'm confused. Okay. So is the vibrate thing on? How do you? Yeah, know yeah, when... I got vibrate on. I, I always have the vibrate on, and I feel like it, no matter what, no matter where, if whether I have it at my desk at work or I have it in my pocket, I can always feel a call. I don't think I've. I can't remember the last time I actually like straight up missed a call. Because I always have the phone on me. It's either within four feet of me. It's on me. It's on a table. It's right now. It's within two feet. Of me. Like it's always near me, so that if it vibrates, I, I hear it enough. It's fine. So See, I never have the ringer on. Your vibrator is your ringer, then. Correct. Essentially, yes. because you're you're <laughs> hearing it or seeing it vibrate. I like to I'd like to call it the vibrate function on the phone versus the vibrator. Joke, vibrator. Joke. It's a vibrator. <laughs> yeah. You know, not the one in your nightstand. I'm talking. No, no, no. The, the one on the phone there. You know. That that's essentially your ringtone is the you know like the the low sound of the vibrator. Right, right, and I I can like I said I can even if it's in my pocket I can sense that I'm getting a call or whatever. I I don't I can't remember the last time that I straight up just completely missed a call other than it being in the other room or whatever. Me you know charging it and going on the other side of the house or leaving it in the car or what like that. So but otherwise I pretty much can always know when I get a call and you know so there's sometimes where I'm busy I'm someplace loud or whatever and of course that but if I'm just sitting around doing nothing. More times than not, I can actually get to it. But uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I never have the ringer on ever. So, do you answer phone calls? Not really. <laughs> I like from like four people, I'll answer phone calls. For the most part, I don't. And even there's like people that that will call me, and I I, I can recognize. It's like I haven't saved their number on my phone, but I recognize the number. But still, I have this like ah, I don't know who it's gonna be. Like just in case it's not the person I think it's gonna be, I'm just gonna let it go to voicemail. So I I, I do miss quite a few calls. Uh, what? But. What kind of fucking weirdo answers phone calls? I know. I, I, In 2018, like, I'm, I'm not, don't call me. What are you doing? Why are we talking? What, what, why? I will answer, like, my boss's phone call, because you kind of have to answer that one. Sure, right. And I will answer maybe 50% of TLB's phone calls, because I can feel when it's a nonsensical she really has nothing to say to me. Call. Oh, you know the timing too. You yeah. know, like, like Michelle will do that sometimes where it's like the certain, it's like, you know, eight 30 and she was coming home from work and I just knew that it was like a terrible call. It's yeah. just like, she's bored. She's driving. And I'm like, I'm trying to be at work or whatever. And like, yeah, you know, sometimes I'll pick those up like 50% of the time. I'll be like, all right, maybe she had a tough day at work. But a lot of times I'm like, no, 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 I'm not doing the hour talk while you're driving to work thing. That's, that's not happening. Yeah. It, when I get the midday, I know she's on her lunch break call. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's not getting picked up. Every time I every time I pick that up, it's just bullshit. You know what it is? It's what are you doing? Oh, I'm on my break. I'm going to get lunch. I don't know if I want to get blah blah or go to blah. Like, why are you calling me? I'm trying to watch 205 Live here. Okay, I, I don't need this phone call right now. You I'm know? ranting about uh, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood showing repeat episodes. Have you, have you completely dropped uh, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood? Like, do you even try to, like, I mean, I know that you dropped them from the reviews, but do you even bother trying to see if they put the right episode up? Or have you just got get rid of that completely? The, D, the DVR still catches it. Okay. Um, when it when they decide to air it, but <laughs> I, 
it's the kind of thing where I'm probably just going to mass delete the folder every time a bunch of them build up. Yeah, it's going to have like or, a 10 next to it, and you're going to be like, I yes. just, I'm not watching 10. <laughs> it's, time, no. it's time to let this go. It's time to let this move on. So. If I'm super, super bored and my the rest of my pile is completely you know dilapidated, I may go back to it and scan through them. Uh, maybe at least to watch, you know, you know, uh, Adrian Quest, aka Young Fuego, who does not play. I mean, if I see one of his matches on there, you know, I might go on there and check it out. Did you know he's a New Japan Dojo, uh, LA Dojo trainee? I had no I idea. I think you had mentioned that. Yeah, you mentioned it on one of your reviews, and that's uh, yeah, it's, that's interesting. There's some interesting talent in those dojos. I don't know when we're gonna eventually see them. I don't know if in uh, September we might start seeing some of them or, or or when. But yeah, there's some there's some intriguing talents there. So I took this this kid, Adrian Quest, under my wing. This championship wrestling from Hollywood kid. Uh, at first, it was ironic because you know, he, he, it's Adrian Quest, aka Young Fuego, who does not play. How can I not make that? You know, but then he started to impress me. Like the more I saw him wrestle, and now I'm a legitimate fan of this guy. And then someone passed it along to me. They said, "Hey, I don't know if you noticed, he was at ringside doing young boy duties in the Cow Palace show because he is a New Japan LA Dojo guy." So I had no idea, but now. You know, this is my guy now, Rich, because no one else was on this guy except for me. So now I'm invested in this Adrian Quest. He has to become right, a star. and you, and you got to dig your heels in with those guys. Like I had a Shino in in, in Wrestle One, and that was like four yes. or five years ago or whatever. And I was just like, I don't know where I was like, yeah, I like the the cut of this one's jib. And I was just like, this is my guy. And like, you got to die with that guy. You got to like ride or die with that guy. Unfortunately, Shun Skywalker, a guy we're gonna talk about in a bit was one that I was like, oh, man. And there, there's been some tumbles here. But, you know, if you, once you once you pick that guy, you got to really kind of stick it out, especially if they're still around. And you got to stick it out a little longer than you normally would, too. You know, you, you can't take the L too quickly. You have to be a little stubborn when, when, when you pick a guy like that. But, uh, but yeah, I, it's, I, I, I probably, I'm not, I don't know if I'll ever sit down and watch a full-hour episode of that crap again. But, yeah, hey, but, no way. But back to your bitching about Brittany. I'm sorry to distract from that, but yeah, go, go ahead. I mean, I'm not answering that. Listen, I'm not answering that, that lunch break phone call anymore. I mean, because it's never anything useful. I'm like, you know, I, I don't care where you're going for lunch. I got to be honest, and I got things to do. It's like, I just saw you four hours ago when you left the house. If nothing important happened between then and this lunch break, the hell's the phone call for? What's the point, you know? And then, you know, you're going to see me in a couple hours when you get off of work. You know, call me when there's new information. I can't stand a phone call where there's no new information on either side. You know, that, that's what drives me nuts. I can't deal with the idle chit-chat. I can't do it. Do you, are you that's an idle? Guy. Um, I don't mind the chit-chat. I don't mind the small talk sometimes. Sometimes. It's, it's, it gets a little much to it. I'm sorry about my dog. Again, there's a battle between a rabbit and my dog every single day. That, uh, never Listen, this has been a staple. <laughs> this, is another, this is another 2014 show. It's a staple. We gotta have dogs barking in the back if we're talking about Dragon Gate. I mean, that's just the way it's gotta be. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Only one. One's in South Carolina, so Hans is running solo here. The uh, the foreign heel, but uh, yeah, no, I, I I don't mind the the small talk a little bit, but it really just kind of fills gaps. Like you're saying, it, it it's because someone on one end made that worthless call, and now it's just like, oh no, what are we like? Maybe like for one second you talked about something relevant, and then now no one's really quite sure when to hang up or when to kind of end it. Yeah. And that's and, where the small talk kind of comes it's, in. It's like, the worst. And then I'm just, I, I, I just, I just. Because you dead. can't, you're not the one that's going to hang that thing up. You know what I mean? Like, because no, you're going to you're going to hear about that in four hours and you that's come right. home. If you're just like, hey, uh, I'm, I'm doing the dishes right now, so I got to go. Like, if, if you did that, you're done. Like, you're fucking toast. I, I, I can't hours. hang up. So what? Here's how I play. <laughs> right. You want to know how I play it? Dead silence. I don't even Ooh, give. Ooh, that's mm-hmm. risky. 
risky. Yeah, I don't. I don't give the. Mm-hmm, I don't give the. Oh yeah. I don't, no, no. Dead silence is all you. Get. That's risky. to the point That's where risky. she has I, to. To the point where she has to go. <laughs> are you there? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here. But then just oh, more dead silence to oh, indicate total like lack of interest. I don't like it. I don't like it, Joe. While I'm <laughs> while I'm staring at the pause screen of 205 Live. <laughs> right. It's just dead silence is my indication of Drew Gulak's looking back at you. <laughs> yeah, but like, um, yeah. One 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 of the issues too is, or or one thing that I kind of do to get off the phone on, on on some of these times is like, say I'm doing something. Like if I'm doing something, she'll get annoyed that like pots and pans are being banged, or like I'm I'm in the garage like working on something, or I'm outside doing, and and she's like she'll hear other noises and be like, oh, am I like bothering you or whatever? I'm like, no, I'm just like you know doing the dishes or whatever, and she's like, okay, fine. Well then I'll see you later. Like. But then that can also be that can go one or two ways. I could go, okay, well, I'll let you go then. Bye. Like, or it's like, oh, okay, like, oh, I'm, you know, the dishes are more important than me right. at this moment. So it's very risky. It's because that, like, again, fifty percent of the time, the I'm doing something else works because it's like, oh, okay, that's fine. That you're doing something else, that's fine. I'll, I'll let you go. I'll see you in a little bit. But then it's also like, why are you still trying to put in the air filter in our vent? You know, when you're talking to the phone with me, like, just just do that when you're done talking to me, and then that's that's the risk that kind of comes. But here's that the one, thing, unfortunately. I I never make the call in the opposite direction. I never make the idle chit chat call. And I, I don't even know the last phone call I made. To be completely honest with you, I I I just don't call anybody. Now now here's the thing. I won't do idle chit chat, but I'll text the dumbest shit all day long. So what's up with that? Why will I not discuss the dumb meaningless shit? But I'm more than willing to just text utter nonsense. Uh, you know, you know, all day long. What's the difference? Right, right. Is which, just... is, which is dumb too, is you probably spend more time like doing dumb texts than it would just to. Because I have that with my buddies a lot of times too. We'll make plans, and it's like after a 40 fucking text message, it's like, you know what? Why don't we like. And I don't do it. I never do it, but I should just be like, all right, let, let me just call you and see what time you're available. Okay, you're available at 5. I'll be there at 4. Or it's 4 30 to pick you up. Right? But you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's. But but instead we go back and forth. Hey, what are you doing? Yeah, nothing. Okay. Hey, what are you doing tonight? No, nothing. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's like and it ends up right. taking two and a half hours, and it would have been a ten minute phone call. But I'm just so lazy that I assume that it's less work to sit on my phone for two hours and and text than it would be just to spend five minutes to talk to somebody on the phone. I don't think it's lazy. I just think it's accepted that only serial killers call people. Like, why <laughs> are you calling someone? It doesn't. You know, like I don't. It, it, no. You know, like back when I was like still on the dating scene, like, like I, I, I cross paths with these, with these women that were like, I don't do text messages. I only communicate on the phone. I would never talk to them again. I'm like, I can't. Oh, that's real. That's real creepy. Yeah. I'm not doing the only call you on the phone thing, especially like if we're early dating, like the best part about early dating is like the, the text messages back and forth. Like the you get a vibe for, yeah, you get a vibe for them. You see what, what makes them tick. Like I would freak out if I had to call someone on like. I, somebody that I never like, I never, you know, we 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 matched up or whatever, whatever app we're on, and then I have to call them. Like Jesus Christ, what would I do? It's like, what listen, would I say? It's like, listen, toots, I don't even call my mother. I'm not calling you. Okay, it's it's <laughs> it's it's not gonna happen. Okay, and and again, like you said, I think the texting works out better in that scenario because I cannot be with a bad text banter. You have to be good at text banter, or I can't, I I, I can't continue the relationship. I, I have to have that in my life. I enjoy. The witty, fun text banter. A bad texter was a deal breaker for me. I had two deal breakers. Bad texter. I can't deal with a bad texter. And if I didn't like their footwear, like if they frequently wore shoes I didn't like or mismatched socks or 
I, and I don't even have a foot fetish. Like, it's not even a foot fetish thing. Like, I'm not into the feet. You know what I mean? You have mentioned this thing before that, yeah, bad bad shoes or bad socks would, would definitely be. Yeah, bad. like shoes that don't match the outfit or don't, or, or, or shoes that aren't, uh, that aren't, uh, that don't, or that aren't proper with current weather. That's another big one for me. Like, don't be wearing, like, furry Ugg boots in the middle of July. It, 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 it throws me all off, and I don't like it, and, and it bothers me. Don't be, don't wear sneakers that are clearly two and a half years old and they're dirty unless you're doing like yard work because right. I don't, it, it bothers me. You know, don't wear mismatched socks. I can't deal with mismatch. Like for, there's just this weird thing in my brain where I, I get irrationally upset about slippers in like any other, like anybody that wears slippers out, you'll see, like you'll go to the grocery store and there's people wearing slippers. And like, I understand like maybe it was like a last second. I got to run out the house or whatever, but throw, throw a pair of shoes on. Unless you are dying of the flu. There's no excuse for it, and it's trashy. No, you can, throw the, you can throw the shoes on. Come on. You, you can do the shoes without socks, even. I'll allow that. I'll allow the sandals. That's fine. I'll allow, but the slippers is, is ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. I don't like slippers. it. It's yeah. it's a terrible move. It's a terrible move. It's <laughs> You got to take some pride. You know, you can't be leaving the house in slippers. I completely agree. But those are my two weird things. Bad texture and bad now, feet. I'm gonna need to, I'm gonna need a little definition on bad texture. We'll get to wrestling in in, in a bit. Yeah. Wrestling is the thing we, we're gonna talk about. What what would in your mind define it a bad texture? Like so, let's say there's there's girl A here and there's yeah, girl yeah. B. Now girl A is a good texture. Girl B is a bad texture. What what is a normal conversation with girl A and then girl B sound like? Well, I can't replicate the exact conversations, but you know good banter and you know bad banter, and sure. you also know someone who doesn't get good banter. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're bantering with them and they don't pick up your sarcasm, or you're bantering with them and they, they reply with question marks or huh with a question mark because they're not sure if you're fucking around or not. I can't deal with it. You, you have to be able to give and take the ban. Listen, I, give it back to me. I like some sass. I like a sassy broad. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I you know, I, I like to, uh, to pick on you and throw sarcasm at you and have you throw it right back to me. That turns me on, Rich. It excites me. Okay. I can't have bad banter and I can't have someone who the banter goes over their head. It's just, it's infuriating. I hate having to explain my jokes and explain my sarcasm and explain my banter. If you do that, it, it, you're going to turn me off. You're going to run Lanza off. Yeah. So it's like the, are you serious? Or like, wait, what yes, are, wait, are you, are it. you joking? Or like, yeah, are the, just a straight up question mark is, is not great. That's yes. That's, I, I that's can't. not going to go. Okay. I, I get, I, I get what you're saying. I understand get what you're saying. So I'm, I'm, I'm there and I'm, I'm exactly with you too. I like, uh, you know, yeah, obviously, you know, you know the nurse. You've talked to the nurse before. She's made appearances on this podcast. If people listen to the, the all-90s podcast, you know that she'll, she'll give it back. You know, that she's, she's very sarcastic, and, 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 yeah, it's just like a constant. Yeah. We just, like, drag each other down and make fun of each other all the time. And, but that's yeah, and, she, and, like, and she's not a complete moron. She understands when you're fucking around. Right, right, you know, yeah. I, I, she can pick it, up it, on the tone, yeah, pretty easily. Yes, that's, that's the thing. Picking up on tone and understanding that I am, like, never fucking serious ever. You know what I mean? I'm just always fucking around. So yeah, yeah, the banter, text banter, is super was super important when I was dating. And rest assured, TLB is good at that. Or else, uh, you know, I wouldn't have graced her with my marriage. Put the ring on it, yeah. I'm not throwing yeah. the ring on that, yeah. That's right. Um. All right. So let's. Uh, this is a sponsor-free show, by the way, as you can tell by our uh, obnoxious amount of banter at the beginning of the show. But it's a sponsor-free show. So uh, yeah, enjoy it. We're just gonna get to the topics. A lot of wrestling, as Joe mentioned, uh, Dragon Gate, Kobe World. A uh, lot of news in WWE, the Evolution, uh, NXT title change, which happened uh, this week on TV, uh, WWE quarterly reports, a little bit of rumors about SummerSlam, some other guys 
potentially moving contracts up. A lot of fun stuff there. Uh, G1 highlights. We're going to get to, we'll talk about G1 when we get there. The thing is, we're not going to really preview stuff because by, we're recording this on the 26th. By the time anybody hears this, a show's already going to happen. There is no point in us saying, oh, I, Joe, I think this guy's going to win. Or, oh, I think like a show would already have happened before anybody will ever listen to this. So there's no point in previewing it. And then another show's going to happen by the time most of you listen to this anyway. So it's just like, it's, it's kind of worthless to do like a G1 preview. So we're just going to basically talk about stuff that happened in the last week and, and kind of discuss, uh, you know, some macro stuff about the, the, the G1 MVPs, things that have stood out to us and whatnot. And then also potentially bounce around the indies. We have some, uh, hopefully we'll have some time. We could do a uh, overrun if need be uh, for bouncing around the indies, but we have a lot of stuff in the indies, like uh, a new promotion that popped out of nowhere. They got a big TV deal. I went to AEW on Friday. Um, a lot of un- fun stuff. The Matt Riddle speculation, uh, Bola, a lot of good stuff going on with that. But I think we have no choice but to start. Joe, I can't believe we're doing this. Impact Wrestling Slammiversary. Joe, this show on the Observer poll. So the Wrestling Observer does, if you don't subscribe to the Observer, does uh, every every issue for every big show, they do a poll where, where people, you know, jump in with a thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. This show, Joe, 189 thumbs up, zero thumbs in the middle, one thumbs down. 189 up, <laughs> one down, zero in the middle for it's Impact Slammiversary. always, always got to be one fucker. Yeah, <laughs> like who honestly like finish this? yeah like it, you you really have to be a bad like you need to stop watching wrestling like like i, I there's and that's the thing with the show is and, and we'll get to it in a bit i feel like there's something for just about everybody in the show if you didn't like this you're, you i don't i don't know you, you might be done like wrestling might not be for you or possibly the person made a mistake but if you're that one guy i they should really name that one guy so we could all publicly shame him but him or her i, I you know i shouldn't uh shouldn't specify but yeah 189 thumbs up uh, I did a uh, instant reaction show immediately following. Uh, basically, I was going to be home, and I was like, hey, let's see how the show goes. Maybe it'll be fun to kind of make fun of it. And it ended up being a hour-long love fest of, you know, me, Kelly Harris, and Jack Beckman just basically talking about how much we love the show. That's up on the Patreon as well, uh, the instant reaction. So I gave a lot of my thoughts on this, but I don't believe the world has heard your thoughts, Joe. So I'll let you kind of have the floor for most of these matches, and I'll I'll chime in where where need be. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what overall, before we kind of break it down match by match, what do you think of Slammiversary? I mean, I'm sure you were a thumbs up as well, but how up is your thumb? I should say not. That's weird. I'm gonna find a different way to say that. I don't know how, how to say up it. Up is my thumb. Yeah, huh? never mind. I'm gonna find a better way to say that. How much did you like the show, Joe? This this was a great show with um, a closing stretch of three matches that are as good as you'll see all year anywhere on any show. And I do believe that it's a show of the year contender. I think it was that fucking good. Um, top to bottom too. I mean, there's really only one match here that I wouldn't say was very good or better. Right. And it was a match that wasn't designed to be very good or better because it was Sue Young just, you know, the story they were telling was she just destroyed Madison Rain and choked her out with whatever her mandible claw slash choke thing is and then put her in the coffin. And it was designed just to put her over strong. Um, but all the matches that were meant to be actual matches, give and take matches, were either very good or, or awesome. So, I, I I don't know. To me, this was better, just, I, I guess, to make comparison points, it was better than any WWE pay-per-view this year, I think, pretty handily, uh, by a pretty decent margin. It was better, I can't think of the last TNA slash Impact pay-per-view, and I've reviewed all of them going back to, I guess, 2014. That was in... In, in in the same stratosphere as this one. I mean, just a, a complete universe above anything they've done in the last half decade. And um, 
better than all of the, the recent Ring of Honor pay-per-views, some of which have been pretty good. And you want to compare it to New Japan, um, you know, this was as good as, as most high-end New Japan shows top to bottom. Because a lot of New Japan shows, you're going to get the first half of the show is just tags. You know, two and a half star tags or whatever. This was great. This was a great show top to bottom. And had the, and had the same great closing stretch that any New Japan show would have with the final three matches here. And usually the, the back end of a New Japan show is just, you know, a big New Japan show is out of this world. So, yeah, I do think it's a show of the year contender. I think you'll see it get votes, which is crazy. I mean, I think we all thought it was well built and had some solid stories coming in and had some stuff on paper that had potential. And we all thought that maybe it could be pretty good. We were generally optimistic in our preview. I don't think anyone, anyone was expecting it to be this good. No, I, and, and, and we, uh, you know, on that instant reaction show, we're, we're trying to kind of take a, a, a big sort of macro sense about this pay-per-view, like you said, of, of where does it rank all time in sort of impact pay-per-view history and, and, and whatnot. And, you know, I, I haven't seen every single one, of course. I'm not Garrett Kidney. I haven't seen every single you know, thing that's ever made tape for them. But, but really, I mean, going back and then looking, like you said, in, in the frame of reference of since we've been doing the show and I've watched pretty much every big major one since then, I mean, it blows away anything that I can remember off the top of my head. And, and, and you know, um, Kelly brought up a few. And then as we were kind of going through the cards and, and looking at, I, I forget which one it was. It was one of the Bound for Glories. And he's going through the card. And he's like, ah, you know what? Yeah, there was like three good matches on that. But yeah, the rest of it wasn't that good. And, and even Jack was, was looking at a few. Every time we kept looking at ones that we thought, oh, well, what about this one? It was just like, no, nah, I mean, I think like, and it, it was possibly we were in the moment with Slammiversary, you know, it being, you know, j- the show had just ended. But really, I mean, I'm running down this card again, and I'm looking at it. And like you said, when when you can have any pay-per-view, any pay-per-view where you have one match that you would maybe say was not good, one match that was, was and, and it's not really, uh, maybe, it wasn't very good. The match, the, the Sue Young Madison Rain match was not very good. But it was over in six minutes, and it wasn't designed to be anything more than kind of an angle. And it wasn't like it took 15 minutes. It wasn't like it was an excruciating 30-minute match. It wasn't like they were in and out in six minutes. So it's like, you know what? Even if that's the worst thing, if that's the worst thing on this entire show is over and done in six minutes and it worked like, you know what I mean? Like the story made sense. Everything that they did in that match and, and all the build up for it made sense. It just wasn't designed to be a good match. It was just designed to be so young, get over and throw Madison rain into a coffin. And, and it, it nailed that. So it really like when you look at like nailing every segment, nailing every match, nailing the story of every single match, everybody kind of knowing what to do, everybody playing the roles to perfection, a hot crowd, a super compact show too. I mean, this show did not feel like three hours at all. And I don't know if that's because, you know, we're, we're so used to now the, the big time WWE pay-per-views going four hours or whatnot, or, you know, SummerSlam is going to be, God, I don't know what, like five or six hours or whatever the hell it's going to be. And, and big time New Japan matches or pay-per-views seem like they're so long or whatnot that this was like a breezy three hours. Like this was, I looked at my clock and it was nine ten, and I was like, holy shit, like well, we're I, almost I done with why. this thing. Like, I can't believe it. Well, it's like we talked about last week or a couple weeks ago, when a show is good, it feels like it's moving quickly. Yeah. You know, you can have a four hour show that feels quick and tidy. If everything's good, here's the other thing, Rich, and I'll get back to finishing your point. Longest match was under 20 minutes, 18 minutes and 15 seconds for the longest match. Yeah. So you have a bunch of matches that are under 15 minutes. Cause there were only two matches over 15 minutes and everything was good. So yeah, it feels like a brief. I'll say I can watch a three or four hour show. If everything's good, it doesn't feel like a drag. So I think that's your answer. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and yeah, like I, I, and that was going to be a point I was going to bring up too, is, is the timing, uh, timing of the matches I thought was perfection. Like they didn't give that main event 35 minutes. It didn't need 35 minutes. 15 minutes was perfect for the main event. The, the Pentagon Sammy Callahan being her longest match of the night. Perfect. That match 
I think was the best built match of the entire show. And, and yeah, but even then it didn't feel like it was excruciating long. It was a quick 18 minutes and everything else just felt paced perfectly. It's, it's, it's for impact. I mean, they are very guilty sometimes of, of, of pacing things like shit and, and over-reliance on backstage stuff, man. I, whatever it was with the show, just from top to bottom, they just nailed it. The, the, the programming, the formatting, everything looked great. I mean, there was some issues with the camera work a little bit here if you want to get kind of the programming nerd thing. And, and I don't know if that was an issue with the venue or whatnot, but there were some times where there was a little you know, weird, the, the hard cam was a little odd or whatever. But that was basically like the, for the first 20 minutes. And once I got used to that, it never bothered me again. It was just different. And I think that kind of was an issue uh, for the beginning, too. They were real zoomed in at a point at a lot of times, too. And, and it's whatever. But, like, I mean, like, after those 20 minutes of being like, oh, geez, this is kind of startling. And especially in that opener when guys are flying around and doing a bunch of stuff, I was like, oh, this is, I don't know if this is going to work. But it was fine. I, I never noticed again after that 20 minutes. And, yeah, I mean, I, I, and I don't think enough can be said about the crowd as well. And it, it's, it's amazing, Joe, what happens when, when you can align a crowd with a show and, and, and them not, you know, be able to cheer for the people you want them to cheer for and boo for the people you want to boo. And it's, it's not brainwashing. It's not that. It's just finding stories and finding matches that your fans actually want to see and then your fans react to them. It's, it's, it's a very novel concept, but it, it was obvious here that Toronto was just ready for the show to be awesome. And, and from the moment the, the, moment the show started, you could feel that, that crowd was into it and they never, ever let anything go down. I mean, they were up the entire show and I think it helped it tremendously. Five-star crowd. They took the show up a notch, no question about it. A great crowd can bring a, can bring a match up. A great crowd can bring a whole show up. And they brought a whole show up. They were hot from start to finish. They were hot for every single match. Uh, and I think a lot of it's what you're saying. They got these stories over on TV. That helped. It, you know, but it was also a crowd that just they took ownership of the show in all the right ways. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Tremendous crowd. Glad you brought that up. Let's, uh, let's break down the card, and I don't think we necessarily need to do the main event, uh, work our way back here. I think we can actually do the whole thing, because I think it works uh, the show, and, and like again, the structure of the show, too, and we'll get to it here in a little bit, but um, one thing I absolutely love about the structure of the show is that you had a lot of hardcore. I mean, this was a very bloody, very brawly sort of show, but I think what was cool is that every one of those, the House of Hardcore, the, the, the Pentagon Phoenix, and then the LAX, uh, the 5150 Street fight, all of those felt different. Like, yes, they were in of themselves matches that were violent and had weapons or whatever, but they were no, nothing alike. Like the Pentagon Phoenix was nothing, or the Pentagon, what am I saying? Pentagon and, and Sam McAllen was nothing like Eddie Edwards, the Tommy Dreamer. It worked completely differently other than the fact that, yeah, there were weapons used. The LAX, the 5150 Street Fight, I mean, that is nothing like any of those two matches. It felt completely different. And, and the way they were structured, too, was, was good, too, because you had Eddie Edwards and Tommy Dreamer, who, you know, they, they got to, they, they did some brawling, they did some weapons stuff, but it never quite got to that level. We'll talk about exactly what, what happened in that match. Uh, for those that didn't see it, but it didn't quite get to the, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened level. And then you had the 5150 street fight and that took it up another notch then because these guys are flying around and doing stuff and, and it, it, it's just complete chaos. And then you get, so so that's more kind of chaotic and and more guys running around and, and, and using weapons and, and and using them in the context of kind of a quick pace match. And then it escalates even to another level of Pentagon and Sammy Callahan where those dudes are just brutalizing each other. They're, they're putting railroad spikes in each other's heads. And shit. Like that's a whole new level. But then when you look at it, when you look at Pentagon and Sammy and then like how tame Eddie Edwards and, 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 and Dreamer was compared to that, it's awesome to see that they built that up almost perfectly. Like it would have been weird if Pentagon and Sammy was the second match from the top and then you go to Eddie Edwards and Sammy Callan. So I thought the way that they structured all the matches really worked as well. And then, you know, a lot of us were worried about the main event. And again, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit more detail. But I thought that was cool, too, that like, you know, you had a, you know, a match that was or a show, I should say. It was pretty well-paced and pretty fast-paced, and people were wondering, oh, geez, Austin Aries and Moose are going to go out there, and maybe they'll have a slowdown, sort of, you know, 
methodical main event. And no, they just fucking, you know, went balls to the wall for 15 minutes and absolutely killed it. But, but we'll get to that in more detail here. Let's let's start with the opener. Uh, Johnny Impact defeating Phoenix, Taiji Ishimori, and Petey Williams. This is Johnny Impact's return uh, after being away for a while. Uh, what would you think of this match? What did you think of Johnny Impact winning? And uh, who really stood out to you? Because I think there's one guy uh, that we all agree stood out, and I, I'm assuming you're going to have the same answer as well. One thing, too, almost no backstage nonsense on this show, which made it feel very different from Impact shows of old and WWE shows. Yeah. It was just an in-the-arena show. And did you notice or did you miss it? No. Uh, no. <laughs> you know, you don't no. miss that shit when you don't have it. You know, it just, it, 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 it was more like a Ring of Honor pay-per-view where it's just match after match after match. Uh, and, and it just, it felt, I think you nailed it with a tweet um, the night of the show. It, it, you know, for once it feels like they have a, a their own identity for the first time in a long time mm-hmm. in this company. And I, I think you're very right about that. They don't feel like they're trying to copy, you know, the bigger company, which, if you recall, was one of the things Don Callis said in his first uh, media call when he yeah, and he stuck to company. it because guys always say that. I mean, and we've heard that from from everybody that's ran Impact is oh we're we're gonna change the game and be different than those guys, but like it was always pointing to those guys. Yeah. Or, we're gonna do different than those guys. We're gonna do different than this, and 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 Callis was just like oh, fuck all that. We're gonna be our own thing. Like we, en- yes. enough of comparing ourselves to other people. Yeah, Callis said we can't concern ourselves with them. They're way ahead of everybody. They don't matter. We have to do our own thing, and we have to do it our own way. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but and, and you're right. They have stuck to it. And, you know, all these other, um, you know, all these other eras of Impact slash TNA, they would say that, and then they would jump all over the latest person to leave WWE, no matter how inconsequential they were in the bigger picture. Aaron Rex, Rich. Is the perfect example of that. <laughs> Who don't listen? Re- why did you remind me of that? We're I'm talking gonna about tell universe? you why. No, because it's a no. chance. Because it's a <laughs> chance. To, I don't want this. It, it's a chance to post mortem victory lap. Because oh. to be completely oh. honest, Rich, though, we were one of the few outlets saying that he was shit, and was and was just totally enhanced by catching on, you know, uh, the right gimmicks in WWE, and we were very skeptical of Aaron Rex, and it proved to be a disaster, but. He's a perfect example of previous eras. We're going to do everything different. We don't care about those guys. And then they bring in fucking, I can't even, what was it? Then they bring in Damian Sandow, of all people, and push him hard. Or they do constant backstage segments, just like, no, they're doing their own thing here, and you're right, they do feel like they have their own identity. Um, While also nodding to the past with the yellow ropes. Did you catch that? Yes, that was an interesting uh, thing. Some people did mention that. I I didn't initially catch that. It was not until about, Halfway through the show, that I realized, oh yeah, those are yellow ropes. That, that was cool, nice little touch there. But yeah, I think speaking of the identity thing, before we get to that that opener, and 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 I tweeted it out, and it was yeah, it just felt like when this show was about halfway through, I just said, you know what, this is the first time that I'm watching Impact, and I feel like they they have a core roster, they know what they're going for. There seems to be some direction. The stories aren't about how they're impending, you know, they're 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 not paying people or impending doom or or anything like that. And it just feels like there isn't chaos around there, and it always felt like for God for. 15 years, basically, that Impact was always onto the whatever the next new shiny toy was going to be, whatever the, yeah, what, the, the XWB guy or whoever was going to run the company this month or this year or whatever, or they're not going to make payments or they're doing this or Vince Russo secretly in here. There just always was something. And, and uh, intertwined with all that was just chaos in the wrestling part of the, the company as well. You would have just no idea where things were going and things would, you know, ebb and flow in, in, in weird directions. And it was just like you never felt like there was 
anything, but more than anything, you would watch that show and just feel like it felt like a, a shitty version of WWE. It felt like a, a dollar store WWE. And now for the first time ever with this show, this is not what you're going to get on WWE pay-per-view. What they did at, at Slammiversary, you were not going to get from any other company at their level right now. It, it, and, and that's, I think, the testament to it is, is you were not going to get this collection of talent, these guys doing these types of matches anywhere else. And that's awesome. And that's unique and different. That's something that they have almost never done in their history. They've done some things that have been unique and different, but it never felt like the tenor around the entire promotion was different. And now it really does. It, it they've, feels... they've had a, I think, I think they've had identities in the past. It's just been a long time. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 No, the, the, the first couple of years there was, you know, but sure. And, the first, and when and they first got on, kind of sucked though. To be honest. Yeah, that, no, that's but, true. Yeah. That's true. But I mean, when they first got on spike with the six sided ring, and the X Division with Joe and Styles and, and Daniels. I, I think they had a distinct identity then. Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, yeah, pretty much from the moment Hogan came in and said, fuck this six-sided ring. Like, they've been struggling ever since then. Yeah. To not just feel like they're the next, you know, WWE. They've line. either had no identity or a shitty identity. Or just, like, the end of the Dixie era was just so dry. Remember how dry and boring and depressing oh, it was? It was? Ca- yeah, yeah. And, but, and, and then backstage, you knew it was chaos. Like, nobody knew. Right. And, and every taping was like, you couldn't wait to read the results of the taping to see who got fired, who got let go, who left in the middle of the tapings, who they brought in, you know, if people are going to get paid. And it, it just, it always put a kind of a, a weird cloud above it. Now this like slam anniversary came and went, it was a good show. And then like, nobody's, you know what I mean? Like there wasn't that. All right, well now what's next for the impact? It's like, Oh, okay. They're just going to keep on going with it. Okay, and, cool. and Callis has done a tremendous job yeah. with, with, uh, with talent acquisition and, and constructing a roster because he's ignoring the idea that you have to have everyone under contract. And he's, and he's just going around the world and, and, and grabbing the best possible talent that he can. And it's okay if they're, um, you know, affiliated with New Japan, like Taiji Ishimori, and might only be in for a couple shots. Or it's okay if they're affiliated with, uh, you know, primarily with, uh, you know, a, a Lucha Libre promotion or something. Or, you know, and, and, and you know, he's, he's, he's seeked out uh, on both the male and female side. I mean, look at the female side, too. We all know his, his love affair with Tessa Blanchard and, and and now you know um, hooking up with Rise and bringing um, Shotzi Blackheart into the fold and um, just just you know the, the roster just it feels like you look up and down this card it just it feels like a great roster of, of great right, talent right. and I and I think the relationship with other promotions is important too because yeah. it always felt like Impact was kind of this weird stepchild of the wrestling business that was like nobody could quite understand it it was there but nobody really wanted to go there they only kind of felt like they had to go there if other things failed or whatever. And they, they never had any sort of relationship with other companies and it never like a strong relationship all that much with companies in America. And it's cool to see them be able to go to Indies and, and, and work with the Tommy Jr. and bring him in for this program or whatnot. Yeah. It's, it's, it's cool. Cause yeah, you don't have to have 30 guys on contract and you only need no. a few core people on your, on, on, on contract. And then, yeah, you do bulk tapings and, and build up to these shows. Hey, can you, are you available on this date? All right, cool. We'll, we'll use you for that date. And, and it's probably the best business model. It's probably the smartest business model they've had in quite a while. And, and maximizing the talent to their best potential. Like you don't like Tommy Dreamer is being used to perfection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For what 42 year old or 45, however old he is, uh, you know, mid forties, Tommy Dreamer, what he can give you, they're getting, they're milking every, you know, last bit of blood. Out of, they're getting perfect, uh, you know, use out of Tommy Dreamer. They're getting perfect use out of Taiji Ishimori. Stick them in there and, in multi-man matches and just, and just let him do crazy shit. You know, they, they just, they're getting perfect usage out of all of these people too, which I, I, who has utilized Eddie Kingston better than this? Yeah, no, I know. I've never been more interested in Eddie Kingston in my life. Who? And, I, I, look at Sammy Callahan. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I, I love Sammy Callahan. Anywhere else. I know. 
But how great how great was this Pentagon anyway? So let's just let's review the show. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Here. So, All right, so you asked about I, the I start with the opener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead with the opener. So look, in the in our preview I said Johnny Impact was going to win and probably had to win because you know, he's coming back to the company and and uh he's a company guy. Taiji Ishimori is just in for the week or whatever and I guess, you know, Petey Williams was a replacement for Rich Swan who got injured yes, at MLW. And uh Phoenix I guess was, would have been the only other choice. The only thing I felt found odd about this is that they chose to beat Phoenix. Um, it's entirely possible that New Japan told Don Callis, you can use him, but you can't beat him when it comes to Ishimori. I don't know if that's right, the case, right, yeah. but that's entirely possible. We see that sort of thing all the time. Um, you know, maybe you can, you know, I, you know, I, Phoenix is a guy I would, I would have went with Petey Williams in that scenario. He's a fill in in the match anyway. So, you know, it doesn't really make him uh, look any worse for wear. Otherwise, if there were no restrictions, I would have beat Ishimori. I'm nitpicking. This was exactly what we thought it would be. Uh, a crazy four-way spectacle to open the show, which is all it needed to be with, you know, the right guy for their business winning the match. Uh, what do you think of Phoenix? Because he was the guy that I, I mentioned. Is there one guy that really stood out to me? And Phoenix was the guy that just absolutely jumped off the page. From me. I thought he was incredible in this match. What do you think of his performance? Well, he was. He, he's always fucking incredible. It, it's yeah. almost become routine with Phoenix because he's so fucking special. And the other thing is, if you remember the first pay-per-view in the Don Callis era, they had such incredibly bad luck with guys slipping off the ropes. Remember that? Like, Oh, every- right. Yeah, yeah. Especially him, who I've never... I've seen him wrestle like 10 times now, and there was you guys like Rob Viper that have seen him you know, hundreds of times and said, I've never seen him fuck up. I've never seen him slip up. And then, yeah, of course, you know, first, <laughs> first spot on impact, he, he slips and falls or whatever. First match that, yeah. of the first pay-per-view of the Don Callis era in Phoenix, of all people, is botching. And and it's just funny because this this whole show and especially this match couldn't have come off uh, any smoother and without any hitches and um and and yeah Phoenix is always fucking incredible. Uh yes. Yeah, so again, like yeah, the result you sort of mentioned there. I I I am a little weirded out by them pinning. Pete Williams seems like the easy one to pin here, right? Like I don't understand why. That's well, what I mean. I mean. If I you're not, it. that's the thing. If you're not allowed to pin Ishimori. Which I get. I get that maybe New Japan, and maybe they were just being nice to New Japan and saying, hey, look, we're just, we just won't pin it. Even if New Japan didn't explicitly say, hey, don't pin this guy, then maybe it's just a nice gesture to say, you know what, we're not going to pin Bone Soldier on this show, especially when we have, you know, Petey Williams and Phoenix. But then you pin Phoenix, which I, that was a little weird. But. Which, especially if you need someone next time, you can say, hey, you know, you, you know New Japan can say, well, fuck, you, you're beating us every time we give you somebody. So, yeah, you're right. Maybe it was there to say, but, but yeah, like I'm saying, Petey Williams was right there. And he, he's a late replacement. There's the excuse in commentary. If you even want to cover for it, not that they're pushing Petey Williams. He's in a feud with Killer Cross. Now, in my opinion, there should have been a Killer Cross-Petey Williams match on this show. But he's going to lose that feud with Killer Cross. He got destroyed by Killer Cross on TV. Killer Cross is the guy you're pushing. So, yeah, I mean, if you really want to nitpick the booking here, and this is some serious nitpicking, you should have beat Petey Williams. But uh, otherwise, a really awesome match. What would you do star rating-wise for this? Because I think we should throw our stars out. I, I, don't, I don't have them written down here, but I, I kind of remember most of mine, so I might be off a little bit from what I had at the instant reaction. I, but uh, what would you have for this one? I can't kill you if you go four. It's four yeah. range. High threes, low fours for sure. I think I went four flat for this one. Yeah, it's uh, fair. Move on to the next match. And this is when I really decided, hold on a minute, this show might be something special here. Tessa Blanchard defeating Allie. Uh, the result's not a surprise. Tessa Blanchard defeating Allie. Uh, I, I said, I, I tweeted it and I talked about it in the instant reaction show, but one day I hope to love something as much as Don Callis loves Tessa Blanchard. Like my God, like if I, if I ever have a child, I hope that I ever <laughs> love them. As, and I don't know if I can, cause Don Callis just cannot, he can't even fathom loving something as much. I mean, Tessa is 
a god to this man. This man will not stop just raving about Tessa, to the point where it almost is like, all right, dude, like we get it. You like Tessa Blanchard, we got it. But like this match, he's just like, oh my god, look at that. Look, it's just all right, all right, we get it. Like she's good, we got it, man. Like it's a, it's a, putting her over, but it's like a little, it's a little much. It's, it's it's bordering on creepy. It's a running joke on my TV reviews when I review Impact. He just doesn't stop. He he's he, callous. It's funny, you know. It's like I, I could tell that they're gonna sign Shotzi Blackheart too, because it's the same way with her. Like he just can't stop talking about how great she. But but yeah, it's a whole nother level with Blanchard. But now that she's under contract, this was this was the only uh, finish. I mean, she had to win this, and she won it with her double armed uh, uh, DDT, whatever she calls that thing. Isn't that what she won it with? The double arm DDT. Um, finish? I'm I'm forgetting what it was now, but uh, yeah, it's a hammerlock so. DDT or a double arm DDT. It's some kind of DDT variation that she uses. But uh, but yeah, a really strong match. You know, well over three. Um, you know, I'm I'm still in wait and see mode with Blanchard Bell to Bell. This was probably the best Tessa Blanchard match I've ever seen, you know, because I'm not real high on her work. Allie's always good. So, um, yeah, I, I I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think this is actually the best I've I've ever seen Allie work as well. I thought she was really doing a lot of risks that I, I had never seen her do before. And Tessa's someone I've seen live a few times and never quite gotten it. Like, people always put her over and, oh, my God, and, and say all these things. And obviously, you have the callous, you know, putting her over. But every time I've seen her, I've been kind of underwhelmed. But this time I was not. She had control of that ring, control of the crowd, and just seemed confident in what she was doing. And, and, and worked it like a badass, too. And that's a lot of credit to Allie as well, for because Allie made everything that, that Tessa did look like a thousand bu- a million dollars. I mean, she was just bumping like crazy and, and, and taking these big impacts and, and, and letting Tessa be sort of the powerhouse that she's kind of becoming now. And I think it's a cool little role for her right now where Tessa isn't, you know, the, the, the smooth, slick, you know, upstart. She's now kind of the... The, the bigger, stronger veteran. And I, I like that. That's actually a cool little story to, to, to play up with there, her, and it works. There was a lot of good shit here. Allie hit the alley driver on the floor. And yeah, then the, yeah. And then there was a really cool sequence where um, uh, I think it was uh, Blanchard went for a top rope. She hit a top rope Hurricane Rana and got a near fall, but then she missed a senton, and Allie hit a code breaker. And Tessa rolled out of the ring to prevent being pinned. And uh, then when they got back in the ring, they they went to the finish. So, yeah, this was a a really well-worked uh, match that was put together nicely, too. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that was important uh, about the match as well, is, and, and, and important about the show at this point when I, as I'm watching it, is when I saw them go out there and have this effort, and, and this was a match of effort, too. It wasn't like, you know, and, and there was great work, and it was great story and great structure, but you could see the effort. And after that opener, which was all effort from all four of those guys, then this, you saw the effort, and you're wondering, okay, this might be a special, like, two matches in, you get that sort of vibe of, like, all right, everyone's busting their ass right now, and everyone's going to follow these two, and these two set the standard right now with this entire show. So I'm, I'm excited to see where the rest of it would go. And that's why I, a big reason why I thought that momentum carried. I don't know if that's crowd related. I don't know if just in the back, everyone said, Hey, let's go out there and fucking kill it. But when you're two matches in and you can tell that everyone's given 110%, you usually know, okay, we're in for a pretty good one. And uh, yeah, we'd follow that up with Eddie Edwards and Tommy dreamer in the house of hardcore rules match. So I talked about a lot. Uh, I talked about this one a lot on the instant reaction show, so I won't get into it uh, too much, but what do you think of Eddie Edwards and uh, Tommy dreamer? So this was a Tommy dreamer brawl. You mentioned that there were three plunder matches on the show, but they all felt different. And you're absolutely right. This was a Tommy Dreamer brawl. And, and this was peak Tommy Dreamer that you're going to get at his age in 2018. Um, I thought, again, it's going to be a theme. It was put together very well. You had the Singapore cane spots, of course. You had the uh, Death Valley driver um, off the top rope through the chairs, um, which, which was crazy. And then uh, the finish with the Boston knee party assisted with the chair. And then, of course, the storytelling afterwards. Alicia Edwards comes down 
looking like an extra from the Sopranos, like a dancer from the Bada Bing. <laughs> yeah, what was that? And, uh, like, you know, I don't know what it was, but I enjoyed it. I do a bath it. of fake tanner, too. Like, she was uh, a different was, color. I don't know what the hell got her. She was looking good, my friend. I got to tell you. She oh, <laughs> yeah. See, this didn't do it for me, but I know see. right up your alley for sure. So. Yeah, so, uh, you know, she comes down. She's telling Eddie, finally, it's over, it's over. And then Tommy Dreamer symbolically hands him the Singapore cane. So the idea is that Eddie Edwards... He finally puts Sammy Callahan in the rear view. He finally, uh, you know, puts Tommy Dreamer in the rear view. And Tommy says, look, you beat me. Uh, I'm passing the torch, the Singapore cane to you. So then, you know, we'll see where that goes from here. But again, this was another match creeping up on four stars for me. Yeah, I think one of the things I loved about this match as well, and this was right, I, I think I had it either three and a half or, or three and three quarters. It was right up there for four stars. But one thing I loved about this match, and, and it, it, again, it's like one of those things that when you try to rate a match, you know, you always talk about this as well, that sometimes a match can 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 do its job perfectly, but then it makes it a worse rating. And I thought this one was one of those because, and I'm glad they didn't do this given what would come on the rest of the show, but when it was over, you know, Tommy Dreamer sets up a table, puts lighter fluid on it, like he's about to light this table on fire. Then Eddie Edwards just runs in and beats him up and then wins like in, a, in about a minute after that. And it's disappointing because you're like, oh shit, like there was a flaming table that we were going to have here. So like, and, that, and the match may have been better had, Eddie Edwards put Tommy Dreamer, Tommy Dreamer put Eddie Edwards through a flaming table. It might have been a better match. I might have rated it higher, but I love the idea that Eddie Edwards doesn't give a shit. You know what I mean? Like, Eddie Edwards isn't going to care and is going to stop the match and just try to win it because he doesn't really want to get into this. Like, he doesn't really want to be doing flaming table shit with Tommy Dreamer. Like, yeah, he's doing this right now because he's he's gone nuts and he's gone off the deep end, but this isn't him. He doesn't want to do that, so he's just going to go and win the match without using a flaming table without using, you know, a bunch of weapons or whatever. He's just going to go and win this match with a wrestling move. And I thought that was kind of cool. And it was a nice little story to tell with Eddie Edwards. And then of course he gets the, you know, Singapore cane afterwards. So now you wonder, Oh shit, is he back to being, you know, now I'm, I guess I'm a plunder guy now, Eddie Edwards. But I like that idea that like, and it stinks because I would probably have rated this match higher. Cause that would have been an awesome spot. And it probably would have caused a little bit more chaos. And had that happened, but it worked, it worked that Eddie Edwards just beat him. And it's one of those weird situations. And that's where star ratings can sometimes, hurt a little bit because I would have rated this more had there been a few more spots, but I loved how it ended. It, was, it worked for the story and it worked for the characters in that way, the way that it ended sort of abruptly and sort of on a, not a, not a down note, but sort of a downer quote unquote, because you didn't see the flaming tail spot, even though it got set up. As to you give it that extra quarter star, who gives a shit? No one cares at the end of the day anyway. <laughs> Just, you know what I mean? I you know, care, Joe. But I, know I, care. Said, but I, I totally get the point you're making. It's a, it's a similar point that I make. Time. So because everybody, everybody, when the match was over, it was just like, oh, that's how it ended. Like, oh, we would have got, I thought we were going to get more chaos. And it's like, no, but that's actually probably better that there wasn't more chaos. And then when I saw what happened on the rest of the show, thank God they didn't go chaos because there was going to be plenty of chaos coming later. So I'll move on now to the X Division Championship match. You had Brian Cage defeating Matt Seidel and winning the X Division Championship. I've seen a, a few different thoughts on this. Our reviewer uh, at Voice of Wrestling, Andrew Sinclair, I think he gave it like two and a half stars. I don't think he liked this match all that much at all, but I've seen a lot of people like it. And we raved about it on the, uh, the instant reaction show. Joe, where do you stand for uh, Brian Cage and Matt Seidel? This was another one um, flirting with four. I'd go a little bit lower, maybe three and three quarters or something like that. But um, look, the thing with Brian Cage is he doesn't land for everyone. Um, and he doesn't always land with me, to be completely honest. I've loved his run in Impact. Um, I hated that they delayed his title win. I thought he should have won it you know, in his, his first opportunity. I've ranted enough about that on the TV reviews, though. And I would have went absolutely bonkers if he didn't win it here. And I would have disavowed this company and, and buried this show regardless of how good it was if he, if he once again did not win. Um, he needed to win it here. He did. And I thought the finish was fucking awesome where Seidel goes for the shooting star press. Cage puts one foot up. 
Seidel takes a disgusting bump with the boot to the face. And then uh, Cage hits the Drill Claw, which is the coolest fucking name for a finisher uh, going, really. And it's a disgusting-looking move. Lots of, like, package pile drivers and spike pile. Lots of pile drivers on this show. You notice that? Like, a lot of different people in this company use a pile driver variation. Uh, but anyway, uh, the, the finish was awesome. Uh, Cage needed to win the title here. And I, I, I think this is the most interesting. It's like, it's very similar to when Samoa Joe was X Division champion and had that long undefeated streak. Remember? They can yeah, do right. something similar with Cage because he's so different and unique. And, uh, you know, and obviously doesn't look the part of an X Division guy. I really think that they should just, he should go on a massive winning streak and long term should be a guy who they're building for the top of the card. Yeah, and, and this match, the thing that I loved about this match is a lot of weird counters and 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 because like you have Matt Seidel coming off the top rope and and, and Cage just grabs him or whatever. And even there were some situations, and I know some people had some issues with this, where like Seidel would grab Cage in the middle of of, of a move and kind of toss him around and do some stuff. And and I get why some people would be upset because Brian Cage almost should never get tossed around, especially by a guy like Matt Seidel. But I like the idea that these guys were so familiar with each other that they were countering counters of counter. And like it's one of those ones that if you had seen some of the other mat, like, some of the other interactions of them, you would get that like these guys would maybe do this. And they're both, you know, Matt Seidel is definitely a, a KG veteran and, and, and Brian Cage has been around for a while as well. So it makes sense that these guys would sort of have each other scouted a little bit. And I thought that was cool. It was, it was to me, I enjoyed that, that like you were getting those reversals of reversals and counters of counters and, and different sort of, and, and, and that's, I think what really stood out about this match to me is it was just a, a super well worked and, and the pace was awesome too. It was 10 minutes, you know, really quickly paced, you know, all action for the most part. And yeah, I, I just really enjoyed it a lot. And I think the result was exactly what it needed to be. And I thought the finish was exactly uh, what I wanted as well. So I thought Seidel worked his ass off and I thought Cage, who I'm very hit or miss on. Brian Cage is a guy, the first, you know, and we talked about it on the show, the first, you know, 10 times you see Brian Cage, he's the most amazing wrestler you've ever seen. And then you kind of realize, oh, well, there's not much else there. Okay, this is kind of what he is. And and then you can kind of ebb and flow with him from there on. And, and and sometimes he really delivers and sometimes he doesn't. In this match, I thought he definitely delivered for me. So he hit for me and he's usually, it's very much hit or miss for me. A lot of times. Cage is never going to be a guy who works a match with deep psychology. Okay. He's best served in short spurts, multi-man matches, things like that, where he can just show off his flashy moves, show off his power, do things that physically that he doesn't look like he should be able to do. Um, you know, the best match he ever had in his life was against Nakajima and Noah last year, where, you know, I, which was loaded with all these kind of counters you're talking about. Although the Cage-Nakajima match, they really did play off more of the idea that it was a David versus Goliath thing with a big guy and a little guy, more so than they did here. but those complaints you're talking about with Seidel didn't bother me here. Look, maybe it's just I know what I'm getting with Cage. Look, I said it in the preview. I would have preferred a 30-second squash. I really would have to establish the idea that Cage is the fucking man in the X Division and a force to be reckoned with. But the match that they had was very good, so I can't complain. I'll move on now to Sue Young and Madison Rain. We talked a little bit about this. I don't know that we have too much to expand on here. Sue Young retains her knockout championship. Uh, beats Madison Rain in about six minutes, and then stuffs her in a coffin, and away she goes. So I don't know uh, where she goes, potentially the May Young Classic. But uh, we talked about this a little bit. I mean, this is probably the lone black mark on this entire show, and even then, it was fine. It was over in six minutes, and it told a, I, I, a story that I don't like, but it was a well-done story. It's one of those weird ones where, like, I don't want to see this, but I could see how people would enjoy this if you like this sort of stuff in your wrestling. It was fine. I, You know, I didn't hate it. It was fine. I, I don't know. Um, and it could have been a write-off. Like you just said. So, you know, it, this could have been Madison Reigns right off. So there's no better way to do that than to uh, beat her handily and literally bury her in a coffin. 
Right. <laughs> right. I mean, that's how yeah. you rate someone off. Yeah. So, and and that's the kind of stuff I think you're going to get with Don Callis. You know, logical stuff like that. Where, hey, look, look at it this way too. Tessa Blanchard lost all her matches until she signed the contract, and 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 somehow, even though she was losing, they still managed to get her over and put her over. And then she signs her contract, and now she's winning on pay per view. Don Callis is going to do things that are more to traditional wrestling sensibilities than you're seeing in other places. And in other places, obviously, I mean, WWE main roster, let's be honest. That's what I'm talking about. You know, and, and so you're going to see Madison Reigns going to Mae Young Classic. Okay, we're going to literally bury her because this is how you we've done things in the business for decades. You do a job on the way out. You put over our champion in the strongest manner possible. That's why I say that you know, I, this was fine. And it was, and this is why I say it wasn't meant to be like a. They weren't going out there to have a five star match. They went out there to write Madison Rain off, and to continue to get Sue Young over. So how can you really complain about it? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and Sue Young, even though we've sort of said that it's not quite for us, or not, you know, you've specifically said it's definitely not for you. The the whole Sue Young thing, you can't deny that it's over a little bit. I mean, it's over it's in over. that crowd. And and I'll tell you at AEW when when we were done, I went to the show with two uh, casual friends and. We'll talk here in a little bit. They, they're good friends of mine, casual fan friends, I should say, casual wrestling fans. They could not stop talking about Sue Young. That was the one character the entire night that they just, who is that? What is she? You know, I, I love to get, like, they couldn't stop talking about Sue Young. It, it just, for whatever reason, all about her, they just, it was it. I mean, they were just in love with the character and loved the way she went around, you know, coming to the ring, what she did when she was in the ring, how she acted. I mean, they, that was the one out of all the stuff that happened on the AEW show, that's the one that stuck out to her. Sue Young. So, you know, whether it's for you and I, it doesn't really matter. It's over in front of those crowds and it's over in front of a, a lot of people. So she's, she's uh, over everywhere. Yeah. And, and I don't even hate the gimmick. I hate the type of storytelling they do on the TV with her, with the spooky music and the fucking visions and Madison rain looking at herself in a coffin. Rich, you know, I'm not into that stuff, but you know, and I talked about this on the TV reviews this week. If you present her the way MLW does, where she just comes out there with Zeta and they beat up jobbers, I have no problem with that. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I love the way MLW presents her. I hate the way Impact presents her. But, you know, it, it's, look, it, it, it's, it's a two-hour show every week, and we say this about Raw all the time, too. Not everything is going to land with you, especially when they're doing a lot of different things. And the Sue Young stuff just doesn't personally land with me, but you're right. It's over. Just like the Tamatanga stuff in the G1. We hate it. It's not what we want out of a G1. The crowds fucking eat it up. So it, it's hard to really just completely bury. I'll move on now to uh, the real business end of the show. Now, the last three matches, starting with the 5150 street fight, uh, LAX, Santana, and Ortiz, uh, they were with Conan, uh, defeating the OGs, Hernandez, and Homicide with King. This is for the Impact World Tag Team titles, of course. Uh, Joe, I raved on and on about this match on the Instant Reaction Show. I'll give my thoughts here in a bit, but... Uh, I know you've been all in on the story. You've been pumping up the story for weeks and weeks and weeks. What did you think of the 5150 Street Fighter? This was so fucking great. How great was EYFBO slash LAX here? I mean, they they wrestled this match, or fought this fight, rather, uh, like it was the biggest match of their lives, which it probably was. And they were so good here, you know? And Hernandez is like 50 years old, and he's doing he's diving over the top, doing, you know, you know over the top rope, death dives and homicide is fucking homicide. And, you know, they're using Drano as a weapon and, it, it's, and, you know, it, you know, the finish was so awesome with, with Conan 
you know, distracting homicide and then tossing the, the, uh, the thumbtacks to say, I think it was Santana it was Santana, right? Not Ortiz tossing the thumbtacks to Santana, Santana dumps him out, you know, and then he, you know, he gives homicide, you know, you know the suplex or whatever on the, on the, on the, uh, thumbtacks. And then he does the frog splash to finish him off and pin him. This was just so fun and so frenetic and felt like a fight and was worked perfectly to the story that they've been telling for the last two months. I can't say enough good things about this, and this continues. This continues. The great 2018 we're having in tag team matches across the world. This has been a tremendous year for tag team matches, and this is just the latest one. And this, and, and I hope this war continues. I think it will continue. And uh, I want to see these teams trade the titles. I want to see these teams bludgeon each other. I, and I, and I want to see this keep moving. And, and this was just, it just couldn't have delivered more. This couldn't have delivered better. Then it did. I, I, I absolutely fucking love this. I went four and a half on this. Yeah. I, I wish I could have went higher. Fuck it. I'm changing it to four and three quarters. How about that? <laughs> wow. Fuck it. Do it live. Yeah. That's right. You know, this was just, this is great stuff. This was so much fun. That's, that's a good, that's the word. It was fun. Yeah. When it was done, I went, I went on Twitter and I, I gave it four and a half immediately. And I was like, am I stupid for doing this? And everybody was like, no, the fucking rock. Cause I thought I was just in my own world. I'm watching this thing and I'm, Watching Homicide just like a fucking bowling ball just bouncing all over the goddamn ring. And, and it, this, this is a fucking fight, man. This was just dudes out there fighting one another. It felt like a street fight that just so happened to have like tables and chairs and, and drain. But like, yeah, it was just, it, oh my God, there was just so much stuff just bouncing all over the place. And guys just doing just insane stuff that the fucking Hernandez just like straight up just jumping over the top rope. And he looked better than he's looked in, in God, five years or so. Hernandez homicide you know I mentioned a lot about him on the instant reaction show and on Twitter but he's a guy that I don't know that we fully appreciate enough I don't know when it's going to come I think it's probably when Ring of Honor finally gets their shit together and gets their archives up for everybody to watch and and potentially when Impact gets their archives up and people can really watch because that's where really homicide cut his teeth mostly is Ring of Honor and Impact and once those two companies really let you see the stuff that he did and when people do rewatch projects he's a guy that I think is going to jump off the page for sure homicide because he's just had an incredible career I don't think he gets enough love, but I thought he was next level here. I mean, the stuff he was doing, always in the right spot. And I think what was cool, too, is there was just no... In some cases, people complain about downtime in matches or not enough downtime in matches, but this one didn't need it. This is a fight. This You didn't need to have a second that wasn't... Because the second you don't attack your guy, they're going to attack you, and that's what this was. It was like anytime there was a, a an inch of opening, somebody was taking it by just jumping or diving or kicking or, or swinging or just doing something, and I just loved the chaos of it. And it was... This match was 13 minutes, Joe. I felt like it was five minutes because it went by like just so quick. So much happened. I, I, I just fucking adore this match, man. I, I hope it gets match of the year votes. I really, I, I don't know if it's going to. I, there might be some other matches on the show that do. But man, it, it, it probably does deserve to because this was just incredible. When this match was done, I just went, this fucking show rocks. I don't care what else happens. The other two matches can shit the bed. We've seen a great show already. And this is a match of the night right now, right here. And and, and I, I thought there was no way to top it. And, and you know, maybe Pentagon and Sam McCallan did. We'll talk about it in a sec. But, yeah, I just can't speak highly, more highly of this match. I mean, everybody delivered. Everybody looked great. Everybody played their roles to perfection. Conan, Kingston, I mean, everybody involved in this story. And, and the, the the promo video before that, that kind of hyped it up. The entrances, just everything, man. The, the production. Oh, man, this match just fucking rocked. You know, a few to the year contender, too, if it stays on this yeah. path. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. You know, the whole way that, that it was set up and, and the turn and everything else. And if they have a couple more matches like this, forget it. Legitimate feud of the year contender. Quickly, I watched EYFBO earlier that day. Um, I think I watched Slammiversary later in the week because I wanted to watch the, uh, 
Impact Go Home show and everything before I watched. I wanted to watch it all in order. Earlier that day, earlier in the day when I watched Slammiversary, I watched the Chikara Beyond Wrestling Clan Feud show from the Wrestle Factory in Philadelphia. And I watched EYFBO wrestle Cornelius Crummels and Sonny Defarge representing Chikara against EYFBO representing Beyond. And um, it just struck me then later on watching Slammiversary and watching them wrestle against uh, the OGs in this match that we're talking about, how it's like, you know, you're wrestling in front of 20 people in the Wrestle Factory against a gimmick Jakara team, and just the disparity in effort levels and the disparity in just, you can tell that they just weren't into it. And then you watch them at Slammiversary, and, and they're, they're, they're tr- they have just such energy about them, and they're treating it like it's the biggest match of their lives. And it's just, now look, I don't expect them to go out there in the Wrestle Factory in front of 20 people and wrestle the same match that they wrestled at Slammiversary. That's not the point I'm trying to make here. The point I'm trying to make here is it's just interesting to see the differences in just energy levels in these wrestlers when you have a great crowd that's responding to what you're doing, and you're involved in a storyline and a match that you can sink your teeth into. It's what we talk about all the time, Rich. You give these wrestlers something interesting to do, to sink their teeth into, give them a purpose, and and, and the water level rises. The performance improves. The energy level is up. If you wrestle a meaningless match in front of 20 fans with no build, we're all human, and so are these guys. And I think that's one theme that we've always tried to pound home on this show for the last five years. And this was just a perfect dichotomy of energy level between the same wrestlers, uh, you know, in, in two different matches that I watched in the same day. Yeah, and I think, uh, again, you know, on, on the theme of, like, you know, energy and effort or whatever, I mean, these guys, just the effort that these guys gave in this match, too. I mean, everybody just busting their ass the entire time. And again, that, that's, you said, when you build stories, when, when people feel like there's, there's buy-in, and I think a lot of people right now, and, and I don't know what's being said backstage, I don't know if they're like doing these you know, Paul Heyman-esque rallies or whatnot, but you can sense from the, from the way that everybody worked this show that everybody is, is, is all pushing in the same direction, which is something that pretty much has never happened in Impact, because there's always been somebody trying to kind of do this, or someone doing the, a secret coup, or you know, someone that doesn't want to be there. Everybody that's, that's in Impact right now feels like they want to be there, and everyone that's in there wants to be a part of something special, wants to build the next impact and build this, this company and get this company back on the right track or, or just straight up on the right track for maybe the first time ever. And it, it's just, you can tell from the energy in these matches that these dudes are out here just giving it all that they have. And this match I thought was so much of that energy and effort. It's you talk about all the time with like a guy like a Tomohiro Ishii, but when you were done with this, you just felt for all these guys. And, and, and no matter who won, you just, you, you could, you, all you could do is stand up and applaud of like, God damn, those guys gave us everything they had on this night. Every single thing that they had every single one of these guys in the match and everyone involved in the match too. But uh, yeah, just an incredible, incredible thing. So definitely, there, uh, there is a, put it over enough. You should probably go watch this if you haven't seen this match. So. Yeah. And watch the whole build. There's a task at your job, Rich. That is the equivalent of wrestling Cornelius Crumbles and Sonny Defarge in front of 20 people. At the oh, sure. Factory. Yeah. There may not be a task. That's the equivalent of this uh, LAX gang feud. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Sometimes eh, every so often. what's your, you know, just and for the listeners, point I'm making is think about your effort level and your energy level at your job when you have a task that's at the equivalent of Cornelius Crumbles and Sonny Defarge in front of 20 people. And, you know, that, that, that's that, that's the point I'm making. Not that they should have went out there with those guys and tried to have a four-star match. But anyway. 
All right, let's move on to uh, the match that could not have possibly followed the 5150 Street Fight. Pentagon and Sammy Callahan, mask versus hair. Oh, wait, it was pretty fucking awesome, too. Joe, what do you think of Pentagon and Sammy Callahan? Again, it delivered. To me, this felt like, coming into the show, the biggest match on the show. And it delivered as such. Um, Sammy Callahan has never been more interesting in his life than he has been in this feud. And Pentagon Jr. just, you know, without speaking a word of English, cut incredible promos leading up to this feud. And then the match just fucking delivered even way. I knew it would deliver and it, it overexceeded on my expectations. I went three and three quarters on that. I went four and three quarters on this fucking thing. Um, it has a chance to make my top 10 for the year. Cause it was just absolute chaos. They're attacking each other with railroad spikes. They're attacking <laughs> each other with Sammy Callahan's baseball bat that he crushed Eddie Edwards face with. They're doing dueling chair shots, Ohio versus everything. The Chris brothers are getting cracked in the head with chairs and getting knocked off of aprons. Um, you know, they, 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 you know, Pentagon's running around trying to break everybody's arm. He did break the referee's arm. There's package pile drivers all over the place going through chairs off of turnbuckles. I mean, it, this was just total fucking anarchy. And, and, and it was just a great brawl and it all made sense. And like you said earlier, completely different than the one we just saw, which felt like a gang war. And then this one felt like two guys trying to kill each other. It yeah, was this just... was disgusting. Like, this match was, and, and I mean that in, like, an endearing way. This match was disgusting. There was spit. There was blood. There was railroad spikes. There was just, it was brutal. There was, just like, brutality. You know, it's just, like, yeah, it was, it was completely different. The street fight was one thing. Even the Tommy German Edwards was, like, uh, using weapons, but using them, like, to show respect to the other guy. This, there was no fucking, these guys were just out to kill one another. They were fine yeah. destroying the other man and, and killing him in the middle of this ring. They were being... Pentagon would be fine if Sam McCallum just died. You know what I mean? Like, the way it was going. It was just, yeah. I mean, the ri- yeah, the mask ripping. You got blood everywhere. It's just, yes. Spit. This is the deathmatch and- show now. It is. We are deathmatch guys. This is so. a deathmatch show now. You know, there's pile drivers through chairs, and then the finish was so good, he gives them the package pile driver, like, through the, the, the four chairs or whatever. And then <laughs> Callahan kicks out at two. But here's the thing. He, and then he, like, gets on his knees, and he's screaming, come on, just fucking kill me, because he knew he was done. But he wasn't going to go out like that. Pentagon had to kill this man. So then he kicks him in the head twice, picks him up, gives him the Pentagon, uh, pie, the package pile driver, or whatever. He, I don't think it was the Pentagon driver. I think it was a, a, a package pile driver. And then, uh, and then pins him after he kills him dead. And then, uh, you know, Sammy tries to escape his haircut because every heel almost in the history of wrestling has tried to escape their haircut. Phoenix chases him back in and they shave his head because, oh, by the way, this was mask versus hair to add to, uh, you know, the rest of the drama here. So I fucking love this. It was it was out of this fucking world, and uh, it was my favorite match of the show. Which was cool too. What, what I love too is that you know, in in kind of the, the final moments of the match or, or the closing stretch, you have the Chris brothers walk out, and you know they're they're out there and they're wearing casts because Pentagon you know broke their arms recently they come out and you're like oh here we go and the pentagon just hits them both with chairs and just fucks them up and they're just gone yeah. you know what i mean like it's just like get the fuck out of here no 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 you guys aren't gonna get involved in this and i love that it's a subtle little thing because pentagon would do that pentagon would just like hit these fucking assholes over the head with the chair and just only get the hell out of here like no 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 you're not gonna get involved in this match and again like impact which was so reliant on stuff like that for years and years and years and years even in their good periods there would always be sort of that wcw thing that everybody would laugh about with with a constant interferences and screw and Pentagon just hits these dudes with chairs and they just have no point of it. You know what I mean? They're just gone. And then they have security come out and drag them out. You know, no, you're not going to stop the haircut. You're not going to stop. No, no, we're getting exactly what we- it's like. 
it feels rewarding. It felt like, ah, you know, we, we watched the story go through, we saw the ebbs and the flows of the story, and then we got our payoff. And it's not that hard. Wrestling is very easy. Just don't overthink it. Just give, give a definitive beginning, middle, and end. And that's what this entire feud had. It had a beginning, it had a middle, and then it had a culminated end. It wasn't the, oh, we got to make sure both guys get over at the end. Or, oh, Sammy Callen's going to lose something by, you know, getting his hair. Sh- oh, so we're going to have him run away, and then he'll keep his heat. Or we'll have the Chris come out and run and, and drag him away, and then, then he'll be able to keep it. None of that. Who gives a shit about keeping? They're going to keep their heat anyway. You know, can they can't survive this match? And that, that's enough is going to give him, you know, the next step that he needs in Sammy Callen's career. And he loses his hair, and now he has a whole different direction to go in. And Pentagon looks like a million bucks. It's just like, it's not that hard. Wrestling is very easy at its core. You just got to tell a cohesive story from beginning to end. And, and that's what this match did. This Callahan, match and the story did. Callahan just got his ass kicked repeatedly by Eddie Edwards in that entire feud. And he just right. seamlessly moved on into this. And this was even more heated than that. So, yeah, it, it's just, yeah, it doesn't, it, you know, they, it, it, people do overthink this stuff too much. It's very simple. Um, and this show proved it. So, um, yeah, this is it was just there's I don't know what else to say. I I loved it. It was just a, it was an incredible spectacle of a match. Uh, then we had the main event here: Austin Aries defeating Moose for the Impact uh, World Championship. Or sorry, uh, Aries was defending the title uh, and 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 retained it against Moose. Uh, Fifteen minutes. I'll ask you first, Joe. Thoughts on Aries defeating Moose? Are you upset? To, I know you could kind of thought that this was going to be the result here, but uh, are you surprised that Moose didn't pull this out? No, it's the right call. Austin Aries is a great champion. He proved it here. He's been he was tremendous in the build. Um, hopefully they're doing a D'Angelo Williams match based on the angle, uh, the the last uh, you know the go home week or the week before the go home week where they did the big angle with it was the week before because Moose wasn't there. They did the interview with Moose over the phone. D'Angelo Williams was there to to represent Moose, and um, and then they did the big angle with Austin Aries. So hopefully they 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 I want I'm curious to see if Austin Aries can carry D'Angelo Williams. Through a great match, we know D'Angelo Williams. I think he can. I think he I can, think he I can mean, too. Aries is so good, and, and Williams was kind of a natural. Yeah. When we saw him, uh, uh, what about a year? How long ago That's was that? About a year ago. Yeah. About a year ago. Yeah. He was he was a natural. You could tell just the way he was moving around the ring. That's like, oh, this guy, okay, okay. Like yeah. one of those things you could tell almost immediately. So yeah, if they actually went with it, they they might have something. Yeah, and then um, you know, and and all of Aries' promos, have been, and then the, the go home show, Moose finally was live in the building to cut a promo. And Aries was on the video screen from a couch saying, well, I'm not going to, you know, do you were there. I wasn't. But then that was all of Gruz, and he came out and attacked him anyway. You know, and, 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 and that was a great angle. And, and then this match was just, for all of the great matches that were, well, first of all, the idea that you can't follow a great match, you know, this whole Triple H theory. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Where, where, that's weird. I didn't see. Where was the, um, so we had LAX, the 5150 Street Fight. I forgot to mention the buffer match between that and Pentagon. I don't have it here, Joe. What was it? Because the Wikipedia does not list. It, I wanted to bring uh, this up because I know you're a, you 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 love this topic yeah. of the buffer match, which because <laughs> it's horseshit. It is horseshit. Garbage. It's absolute horseshit. It's 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 all look. How many time? How many New Japan shows do we have to watch that never have a fucking buffer match? Right. And it's like it's just it is total horseshit. You know, it, it's you if you don't follow something, it's because you weren't good, or it was because you weren't over, or it's for for it's you, it's you. Okay, that's why if you couldn't follow something, but anyway, um. Now, now, I'm not saying there aren't things that are hard to follow. I'm sure that this 5150 street fight and this mask versus hair match was hard to follow, but they fucking followed it and they did their job. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and they got. Well, and that's to their credit is Aries realized, and, and I don't know if he, I, I don't know if this was always the intention of the match or whatever, but Aries could have went out there and done a slow, methodical headlock, chop down the tree of Moose, you know, really slow things down and make sure that Moose doesn't get his athletic advantage over him or whatnot. But then instead they just decided, hey, fuck it. 
This whole show's been balls to the wall. Let's go balls to the wall for 15 minutes, too. And that's the other point. They, they went out there and told a very cohesive story of Moose being bigger and physically dominant over Austin Aries for the first half of the match and nearly winning in the opening minutes with the lawn dart and the go to hell, which is his finishing sequence. And Aries managed to kick out. And that was the whole story. Moose couldn't wait to get his hands on this little prick, okay, which was the whole story of the build. And when he finally did, he nearly beat him, you know, in like under three minutes. And then it was Aries in survival mode. And then Aries just sacrificing his body at every turn to attempt to beat this man, this bigger, larger man. And then he beat him clean in the middle with the brain buster, proving he was the better man. No shenanigans, no fucking heel cronies helping him out. That is how you get your world champion over. Okay. That is how you do it. And that's also proof that you no rest holds, no slowing it down. Like you just talked about. It's also proof that you can tell a, you can tell stories in the ring without slowing it down and grabbing a hold or working on a body part or all of these old ideas of wrestling psychology, which are sound, but there are other ways to do it too. And these two guys proved it. This was a, a very clear cut pro wrestling story without any of that telling stories bullshit. Okay, there's more than one way to skin a cat in this business. Okay, and, 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 and this was another example of how to do that. And like you said, they could have went out there and had a WWE-style main event, slapping on chin locks and working on a body part and all that. And, and it, it would have made sense. To be honest, it would have made 100% made a ton of- sense with Moose being what he is and Aries. Aries is small. Moose is big. Moose is more athletic. Chop Aries down is the a leg smarter, craftier veteran. Like, it would have made all, and that's 100% what I thought this match was going to be when I went in. I went, okay, these guys are not going to follow because this is what the match is going to be. I, I, I kind of went into it with that idea that, okay, it's Aries is just going to chop away, chop away, chop the tree down, slow him down, do all that. No. Nah, and, and it wouldn't have gotten over. It wouldn't right. have gotten over in this building on this night after what those fans had just seen the rest of the night. So they went out there and not only told the cohesive story, but they worked the right kind of match for the crowd. And, and, it just it just goes to show all this bullshit, especially you hear it from these from these uh, these WWE wrestlers who are who are uh, homegrowns, uh, you know, because they get this beaten into their brains by their trainers. We tell stories here. We tell stories here. Uh, yeah, you know, we, we here we know how to work. It's bullshit. It is bullshit. There's more than there's 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 hundreds of ways to do these things and tell a cohesive story. And let me tell you something else, Austin Aries. This was the one of the best singular pro wrestling performances I have seen this year. He, there, were, there were great matches on this show. He was the best wrestler on this show. He was so good in this match. I don't even have the superlatives to tell you how good I thought he was in this match. First, taking the beating from Moose in the, in the opening minutes, and then the way he had no regard for his body the rest of the match. In both he's 42. And he's 40. He's 40, yeah. you know that, right? Yeah, yeah. That's like, people forget that about Austin Aries. like, no, I mean, I saw him in his early years. I was probably 12, I think, when I first, like, he worked some indie show around me. And, and yeah, I was maybe 12 or 13, and I saw him, and he was still, and the guy's 40. Like, he's not young like, at all. Yeah, but, I mean, he keeps in tremendous shape. He seemingly gets better and better. Yes, you know? that's that's what I was going to bring and, up. It's unbelievable. And the way he sacrificed his body, both bumping and selling, and also with his offense, the reckless shit that he was doing offensively. He wasn't just flinging his body around like Kurt Henning bumping for Hulk Hogan. It was this offense, too, that was like that was putting himself in physical danger. They went out there and just killed it for 15 minutes and had another match that was well north of four stars after following all that other shit on this show. And this was just a straight wrestling match. 
and they followed all that and had a tremendous match. This was just great. And, and listen, I don't want to downplay Moose. He more than held up his end. More than held up his end. So Moose was very good too. But Austin Aries was another level. This guy is so fucking good, and he never stops improving. I'm trying to find the uh, the show that I went to. I was I'm trying because there was a lot of fun. Okay, I did find it here. Yeah, <laughs> I remember watching it, and I remember always looking back and being like, yeah, I think I remember a lot of these guys, you know, making. Uh, some pretty good things. So this is the I-8 tournament in Willowbrook, Illinois on April 23rd, 2004. So April 2004. So I was a little little older than I said there. But uh, so it was a tournament here. You had Sean Devari beating Ken Anderson. So Devari and, and Mr. Anderson. Yeah. Eric Priest, Steve Stone. I don't know who that is. I do not believe that's uh, former Cy Young winner Steve Stone, but I could be wrong. But uh, <laughs> uh, Ricky Strike Nine and Danny Dominion. Uh, Danny, well, that's Danny Daniels. So you might, people might know him as right. you know, the man that runs AEW. Uh, Austin Aries defeating uh, Julian the Warlock. <laughs> I don't know who Julian the Warlock is, but I got to see Austin Aries. Ace Steel defeating Derek St. Holmes. And then the Void Effect. I forget who the Void Effect is. They defeated Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson. Yes, I got to see the Rock and Roll Express. How about that? Um, they were very drunk. Very drunk. The entire show. Wow. I kept seeing them at the bar, and I was like, they're going to wrestle at some point, right? And they, I swear to God, they the match ended. Someone walked over to them. They chugged the beers, put them on the table. <laughs> And then the music played, and they just like like they had their gear on the entire time too. Like they did wow. not hang around the back, but they were just like slumping up by the bar. Someone taps them on the shoulder. They walk in, just like, "Hey, what's up?" Like, and the, there was like maybe you know two hundred people in the building. Like we all saw them the entire time. Like nobody, there wasn't any idea that they were anywhere but like <laughs> drinking the entire. So time they're in stuff. their tassels and their sleeveless yes, tees, yes, just yes, getting drunk. Yes. Right. That that's like the nasty boys story at ACW in Austin. Remember that one. That's it's a very, oh right right <laughs> where they just didn't show up to the building because they were you know down the street at a bar and uh, they didn't show up to the building and right until you know literally when their match was going off and then they just they didn't they didn't they just went completely uh, ignored everything that was talked about before the match and 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 were just beating the shit out of these poor opponents who you know these indie kids and Colt Cabana happened to be on the show. And um, he had the, they had to send Colt Cabana out there to talk sense into knobs and sags who were half in the bag <laughs> to, uh, you know, uh, you know, to, to work some kind of finish just to get them out of the ring. And uh, the, the, their response to the promoter, uh, when the promoter said, where have you been? The show started three hours ago. And they're like, we're on nasty time, was their response to the promoter. <laughs> so there, remember that story? I was, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to use it at work tomorrow. That, that was uh, at like twelve thirty. Yeah. That was Pierre Abernathy yeah, who, who told us that story on the show years ago. <laughs> yeah, right, right. In a show that's probably lost. I doubt that one's on your hard drive. No, no, I have it. I have it. I, 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 we should put that one up. That should, was a good we interview. We should at least like cut that. the story and put it put it up or something because it's probably a lot better than the the way I just told it with all the details and everything. I have um, details to that story. I can't tell on the air sometime to you if you'd like to hear them of what happened. Oh, okay. After yeah. that show with the Nasty oh, Boys. <laughs> I'm sure that went well. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it goes in some terrible directions that I will never repeat uh, for public consumption uh, because uh, they're without question, uh, be lawsuits involved. They were on Nasty Time. They, they were, were they on Nasty they Time. They were on Nasty Time in Austin, Texas, well after that show ended. Okay. And there was some nasty stuff yeah. going on on Nasty Time that I will tell you about later, Rich, as I tease the listeners and they all hate me now. But, um, yeah, that's kind of shitty of you. But yeah, so I think this is my first indie show I ever went to. But yeah, Sean Devari, 
Uh, I want to know more about Mr. Vinny, Anderson, Vinny the Warlock. Tell me about this Vinny the Warlock. Yeah, uh, Julian. No, oh, Julian, Julian the, Warlock. the Warlock. Let me find out who right. Julian the Warlock is. Yeah, let, me, let me do a little research on uh, Julian the Warlock here. Uh, Davari defeated Strick 9 to win the uh, IA tournament, by the way. So that's when Davari was doing his magic carpet gimmick. I don't know if you ever saw him. Is this the good Davari or the shitty Davari? Which... Uh, this is the good Davari. This okay. is the good Davari. Um, ooh, I don't know if I'm going to... Well, I do know Julian the Warlock was at one point the Windy City Pro Wrestling Bare Knuckles champion, but uh, that's about all I can figure out right now. So I'll uh, I'll keep working on this here a little bit, but uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to get much on Julian the Warlock, Julian the Warlock, wow. I, I was hoping that he now, he now wrestles as someone who's awesome. It's Kenny Omega. Yeah. <laughs> Because I like, yeah, I did like just check to make sure like Ricky Strick Nine wasn't like you know someone like Rocky Romero's like original, gimmick, you know what I mean? Like you never know with these guys. You don't like, want to, yeah, you, like, you don't want to look stupid, you know. Barry, right, like I don't know who the Void Effect is. The Void Effect might be someone that I, I, you know, this this tag team that I might remember, but uh, yeah, it was a pretty fun show there with a bunch bunch of guys. But yeah, I remember uh, then I remember I went home and I think on MySpace I messaged Sean Devari and he responded to me for some fucking reason, so I had to be terrible. <laughs> Ugh, I would love to read that conversation. <laughs> It was bad. It was really bad. I was just like, oh, you rocked. Because I'm like, you know, I'm just a dumbass. I'm, I don't know. I'm like teenager. Or 16. Yeah, I'm just an idiot. And like, he, but I, he was over. Right? He was over in that crowd. He had his, uh, his magic carpet that he used. That was pretty. Uh, I mean, it was pretty on the nose gimmick at that time. But it's all right. Yeah, that doesn't, uh, you know, I think I'm going to lay off that one for a while. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, yeah. It was... Anyway, <laughs> impact. There you go. Slammiversary. Tremendous show. All right, Joe, let's get into some other stuff, though. Before we do that, do you want to let people know about us on Patreon? Yeah, so, Rich, are you a Voices of Wrestling subscriber? No, why would I be that? That's ter- why would I ever That's do that? That's terrible copy. Why would I write it that way? <laughs> why would, why would it be, like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why would I ask you if you're a Voices of Wrestling subscriber? Are you going- I'm not, though, so try to convince me, because I'm not, I don't want to spend not, 2 or $5 on anything. You're why not paying that? to hear yourself? No. God. Why the hell not? We offer the most affordable. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> we, this is like so awkward. We offer the most affordable. Blue Apron bad. But. This is really. This is this is um this is ad read. We don't want to do any more bad. You know, like when we're we we we're tired of a company that. Yeah. So anyway, we offer the most affordable, biggest bang for your buck premium subscription content in the industry. Tiers start at only two dollars, which is basically free, and are just five dollars per month. And just $5 per month gains access to our entire archive and everything we do, including the Overrun, our flagship extension that guarantees that we will never run out of time again. Joe and Rich recommend matches to each other, arguably our most popular bonus show, where we get a chance to stretch our legs, get away from current events, step back in time, and break down wrestling from the past. Instant Reaction, which airs live on YouTube, where you get the freshest takes on major shows. Subscriber-only anything-goes Q&A mailbags. Twice-weekly TV reviews. Every Monday and Thursday, Joe breaks down the latest in TV wrestling. Special editions of Bouncing Around Japan and Bouncing Around the Indies. Exclusive subscriber-only interviews with the big names from inside the industry. Classic content dusted off from our pre-audio boom archives. Richest squashing buttons live video game gimmick. And eventually, one of these days, the return of Lanza Unfiltered the greatest three-episode run in podcasting history. Right now, until the end of the G1, we've also got daily G1 audio updates with full breakdowns and analysis of every show. So, Rich, what are you waiting for? If you listen to this show every week, 
there is no reason not to subscribe. Go to patreon.com slash voices of wrestling. Find the tier that works for you and subscribe today. There you go. Good stuff. Patreon.com slash voice of wrestling. Also voice of wrestling.com slash Patreon. So you uh, do that. But yeah, the auto uh, reviews, the G1 auto reviews have been a lot of fun. Uh, kind of following those and, and, and seeing the stuff. And that's been super popular with people. And I'm glad it, it's, it's an arduous task, but Joe, I mean, you're basically, uh, we'll get to G1 here in a little bit, but you know, you're, you're halfway done. You're in the home stretch here. So you're, I mean, and you're, you seem to be all right. You seem to be in a good frame of mind. Um, I filled in on Saturday. That was pretty fun as well. It's fun. Uh, having to watch the undercard is arduous though. I don't like watching, having to watch G1 undercards, but I'm glad I did. There's a lot of fun stuff on that undercard. And I should, I should, I, I wish I had more time to watch the undercards because they always do a great job of building to the next night's shows. So I wish I had more time, but yeah, no, we've, we've done some great jobs with those and, like I said, instant reaction. I did that just this last week, uh, last weekend with Jack and uh, and, and Kelly doing uh, the Slammiversary instant reaction. We had some other stuff uh, on the docket too. A few weeks ago, we did the Joe and Rich uh, recommend matches to each other. That was a lot of good stuff as well. So yeah, definitely uh, patreon.com slash voice wrestling, voice wrestling.com slash patreon to do that good stuff. But this uh, is my third show today. Yeah, you uh, <laughs> you're ready for the G1 to be over. I'm sure. I've said you're in a good frame of mind, but I think you're you're definitely are not going to miss doing the G1. Yeah, it's not the audio, it's to find the time to watch the shit. Mm-hmm. That's what I've been saying all along. So. I've always said, yeah, like, if, if I, you know, if, if there was a money mark that would pay us, I'd be on audio all day, Joe. If you wanted to just sit here and talk for 12 hours a day, I'd be fine with that. That's fine. You, know, you say it's that. Sitting you down s- and having to. You say that now. <laughs> you say that now. No, but, I mean, uh, there would be. Six, maybe six hours a day. I'll I, I, could, I could do, I could do, a, I, listen, I don't know if I'd want to do a three hour show every day, but I could do a show every day. I, I, I could do a show every day. If it were, yeah, for sure. If it was, uh, you know. It was literally like the shoot job. I could do a show every day. Why not? Yeah, it's just watching everything that always kind of piles up and piles up yeah. and piles up, and it makes it uh, makes it tough. And you got to pick and choose what you can watch. And and many times when we pick and choose what we watch, we uh, leave Dragon Gate out of that. But this week, I did not. I watched Dragon Gate Kobe World front to back. Watched the entire show. Uh, you saw the main event, so we're going to talk about some um, some stuff with Kobe World because I think a lot of interesting stuff right now is going on in the business of Dragon Gate, what's going on behind the scenes of Dragon Gate. We've alluded to it a little bit on past weeks, but I think now, because Kobe World's their biggest show of the year, a great opportunity to kind of break down some of the stuff that's going on with them and, and stuff like that. Uh, Michael Spears, who who's does great work, um, uh, hosts and open the Voice Gate on uh, the Voice Wrestling Podcast Network. Uh, him and Case Lowe reviewed the show on uh, the most recent episode of Open the Voice Gate really good. Uh, also, Michael Spears has a, uh, a State of Dragon Gate article that's up on the website uh, right now that I definitely want to recommend that you check out. Uh, gives you a real good overview of what's kind of been going on with Dragon Gate, the, the stuff that's going into it, and how important this Kobe World show was. This was written before Kobe World, so some stuff is is obviously, you know, him guessing, you know, what's going to happen to Kobe World and what's going to affect that or whatnot, but it gives you a, a good idea of, like, maybe why we haven't been talking about a lot or why it, they've kind of been off track for a little bit. And, and, and that's something that we admit. I mean, like you said, it's, it's the last time almost, it's almost been basically a year since we really dug our heels in and said, hey, we're going to talk Dragon Gate, we're going to give it a passionate talk as well, because there just hasn't been a whole lot with Dragon Gate. I know you've tried, I've tried. What's been the issue on, on your end for Dragon Gate and why you haven't been able to really kind of get into it? Well, Dragon Gate's having a tumultuous year. Like you said, the article by Iron Mike is tremendous and will explain all of it. Um, it probably much greater detail than we will today, but it was a story that we were trying to get to on the flagship for a number of weeks in a row before anything was written about it anywhere. Uh, we had the inside scoop from Iron Mike and, and some other sources, we just weren't able ever to get to it on the flagship. Uh, to make a long story short, you know, uh, Shima is no longer with the company. I don't know how many people still to, to this point are, are not aware of that. Uh, Dragon Gate basically, um, and this is the Cliff Notes version, uh, listen to Open the Voice Gate or read Mike's article. 
for, for the full story, but Dragon Gate basically split into two different companies. Uh, one of them is called Dragon Gate Entertainment. I forget what they're calling the other one, Dragon Gate something else or uh, something or other. Uh, but but the point here is Shima is no longer with Dragon Gate proper, and he took L. Lindemann, T-Hawk, and Yamamura with him. Okay? Now that's big, because Shima, and I think it's becoming increasingly more obvious, was the biggest star in the company. Um, T-Hawk was who they were grooming to potentially be the biggest star in the company. Yamamura was a guy with all kinds of potential who blew everybody away his rookie year. And now Lindemann is, is, is very good as well. Uh, so those four are now working uh, in China, in Shanghai for OWE. And all of those crazy uh, gifs that you might be seeing online or whatnot of, of, of Shima and his, uh, his, his Chinese acrobats, the guys from the, from the, uh, that he's training from the, what are they, from like the Kung Fu movie scene or whatever it is. And he's training yeah, the right, right. wrestlers and they're doing all these incredible ridiculous spots that have never been done before. Well, Shima and, and, and T-Hawk and Lindemann and, and Yamamura, uh, you know, they formed this faction in, in OWE called strong hearts. And they're also doing an invasion angle in wrestle one right now, the four of them with, with, um, you know, the other members, the Chinese members of strong hearts, uh, Gao Jin. I can't pronounce this Gao Gao Jing Jia Gao. I'm going to call him Gao. <laughs> Gao, yeah, Gao is that's the... that's tough, man. If we 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 have a lot of trouble with like Japanese names, Chinese names are much more difficult. And that's you know I've gone gone to school with 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 plenty of Chinese you know people that have come from China and and, and Chinese students or whatnot. And I always try, and they they even are like, yeah, it's it's tough, man. I don't blame you. It's not easy at all, and it, it's tough. So yeah, give us a, give us a break on those. Those so, are going to take quite a while. So Gao is one of the Chinese that are part of Strong Hearts as well. Yeah, but um, but yeah, so Dragon Gate is is missing those four dudes and. Shima in particular, and it's been kind of a a weird year for Dragon Gate. Um, they're they're trying to uh, cope with the loss of Shima and those guys, and uh, now you know effectively Strong Hearts are running opposition. I mean, they're working Wrestle One shows, and um, to just show what to show what Shima has meant to Dragon Gate. I mean, this Kobe World Show did an announced attendance of forty nine fifty two, which was disastrous on all fronts. Uh, there's a caveat to that that we'll get into, which I'm a little skeptical of, but we'll talk about it. But, um, you know, you know, th- th- this is a show that they've in the past announced 9,000 fans for. Now, nobody ever bought that. We all know that Dragon Gate was the worst offender at inflating numbers. Um, we're told that this is a legitimate figure, but uh, still, a- a- attendance uh, was way down. When they're announcing 9,000 or 9,500, there's probably 55 or 6,000 people in the building. So they were down to under 5,000 this year for Kobe World. And a lot of that could be attributed to the fact that Shima's not there anymore. When Shima works these Wrestle 1 shows, fans leave in droves after Shima's match is over. So it's very clear that he still has his fans in Tokyo. He still has fan. If anything, this Dragon Gate split has really reinforced Shima's Hall of Fame argument. Yeah. Because it mm-hmm. really shows how much he meant to Dragon Gate over the years. And he really was the top dude. And... um. And and he's still drawing when he comes back to Japan to, to work for Wrestle One. It's very clear that he's the key draw to those shows now. And uh, you know, Dragon Gate, they're they're in a tricky spot now. You know, they 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 they, they from now now here were some bullet points and I'll let you go over these. Now you want to expand on this forty nine fifty two that they drew for Kobe World, which uh it it, it it jumped out at me immediately because it wasn't a round number. That's number one. So I, I right. kinda figured, all right, this might be for the first time ever. 
Dragon Gate's announcing a shoot number, but get into that number and what it means and what the Dragon Gate spin on the number is. Right, yeah, whether you believe it or not. And, and this, is, uh, this was also reported on uh, Open the Voice Gate as well. Michael Spears, uh, the, the host of Open the Voice Gate, we mentioned Iron Mike. Uh, Fujiheya is, is uh, uh, on Twitter if you want to find him on there as well. He, uh, he spoke to a member of the Dragon Gate office, and this is what he was told from them, and he sort of reported this as well. Again, like you can take that for what it's worth. This is from a member of the office telling him this or whatever, but here are the bullet points that he kind of ran down. He ran this down on Open the Voice Gate, which again, I definitely recommend you check out this week because they do a great review uh, of Kobe World, probably even more detailed than we're going to do because we're going to kind of run through it semi-quick, but we're going to give it its, its, its love, but they do a whole two hours on it or whatnot. Uh, the, so the 7.952 was, was a shoot. Uh, big shows will be shooting. This is exactly from a, four nine. or four nine. Yeah, sorry, four nine, four nine. Sorry, not seven two. Uh, four nine, four nine five two. Uh, the big shows will be shoot numbers from now on. Corkins two, I bet, might be inflated a bit for house shows, but not as bad as before. This is a thing from the new president. So the new president is saying no more of these bullshit numbers. Shoot numbers from here on out. Maybe house shows will be inflated. That was kind of a caveat, but Corkins and big shows will be shoot numbers from now on. Now, here's my take on that. This is what everyone else is doing in Japan. So Dragon Gate really had to get with the times because their inflated numbers were really looking foolish now that everyone else was oh, yeah, being yeah, honest. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Especially when, like, yeah, when, when New Japan was announcing, like, shoot numbers for arenas, and you could tell that, like, a much bigger arena was much more filled for a New Japan show, and they were saying, you know, 780 or whatever, or, you know, 7,800 or whatever, and then Dragon Gate was coming out with a 9,000. It's like, no, <laughs> like, look at your building. There's no way. There's not 9,000 people there unless you're counting everybody three times. Like, you know, it. It started to look comical, and it became a, a running joke for the last like few years. So yeah, they, so this they definitely, is, and, and and the industry leader decided to go shoot, yes. and that then kind of causes everybody else to kind of follow. Yeah, trickle on. down, yeah, and this to me that's good news. Oh yeah, no, definitely, it, it's it's good, and but it, the issue now is then we can't really, and it became an issue when everybody was kind of studying New Japan numbers and and the rise and fall or whatever. But like, you really can't look at 2003 New Japan numbers and compare them to 2012 numbers. No, you can't. They're just not working from the same, you know. No, they weren't getting sixty-five thousand people in the Tokyo Dome or whatever for these these shows or whatever. So yeah, you can't look at it and go, "Oh my God, look at how much you know Tanahashi's done nothing for the business. They're down, you know, thirty thousand dollars at the, thirty thousand people at the Tokyo Dome." And it's like, no, they're they're not. Like you have to really kind of judge it from the moment that shoot numbers then get announced. So now it kind of throws all Dragon Gate numbers for a loop because you can't really look at it all the same. With that said, this was not a well attended show. I mean, you could tell from the crowd shots that this was not. The fullest that, that this arena has been at any point. No, and they, and they and they concede it was poor attendance. So we can. Th- this is why I say we can basically say that shows like this were probably doing. I don't know, fifty five hundred fans, six thousand fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when they were reporting, you know, nine thousand or seventy five hundred or whatever it was, because they concede that this was a poorly attended show. All right, uh, number two here was the highest grossing Kobe World of all time, given the attendance. Uh, given that attendance, which means that a few things. There was a new fiscal year. They run uh, Kobe World to Kobe World. Uh, more sponsors. There was a new mat this year, and it had tons of sponsors uh, on the mat, on the apron, and also on the entranceway. And probably most important, and this was a, a caveat mentioned by by the, the person in the Dragon Gate office, no comps. This was a year where they did not give any comps away. Okay. So, Joe, do you want to react to this, or do you want me to give the third point? Yeah, because this is where the spin comes in. Okay? They're, con- okay. they're conceding that the attendance stunk. But the spin here is that it was the highest grossing Kobe world of all time. Go ahead and, and finish up the bullet points and then I'll talk. Yeah, because I think this one, they, they're, they're pretty related here. So here's the third point is Akamura, the old president, used Kobe world basically as a spectacle in a networking event and handed out hundreds of comps. So there might have been 7,000 people there legit last year. or the, Those numbers may have been kind of close. Like, like we said, they weren't the 9,000, but they might have been 6,500, might have been 7,000 or whatever. Right. But, you know, 400 or so of those most expensive seats, this, this person in the office sort of told Mike, 
uh, were given away basically to his friends, business partners. He used it as a networking event. He used it as a showcase for his company and here's what we're doing and, and would give tickets away to a lot of people. And that might be the reason why this show grossed more because those seats were going to actual people that were paying versus comps. Okay. So compared to prior years, here's my take. I can buy that. They're not giving away comps anymore. I can buy that a new president has new strategies and new philosophies and is going to announce shoot numbers. I don't know if I buy the spin that this was the highest grossing Kobe world of all time. I don't know if I buy that. It, it reeks to me of spin to take the edge off the fact that they had to swallow their pride and announce that they drew less than 5,000 fans to the show. Um, that's just my take. Look, I could be wrong. They could be, they, they could be totally genuine with this. And, you know, you know, and there were more sponsors on the apron. But, I don't know. To me, it reeks of spin. We'll see what happens moving forward. We'll see if they stick with the legitimate numbers. And we'll see what they do to try to spark business. This is a, this is a, a company right now that isn't anywhere close to hot. Um, they don't have any hot right now. I don't have any any hot storyline right now, and and they're still reeling from losing Shima, and and even the most ardent Shida, uh, you know, sh- uh, you know, Shima detractors who were tired of him have to admit at this point that he's a major major loss to the company, um, and this was a big blow. I think one thing to look at with this, and, and again, it's pro wrestling. And I think that's one of the things that we always have to, is it, just because they say, hey, we're not lying about this anymore, doesn't mean they're not lying about anything. It's a con, it's con that's, man you know, business. It's, you know, that. It, it, that's with the, so they can say, hey, we're not lying about X anymore, but that doesn't mean that Y is always going to be true because they're telling you that we're not going to lie about X anymore. Yeah. They could just as easily say, you know, we're not going to lie about X anymore. What we're going to lie about now is Y. And we're going to say that we're making more money, even though we might not be. So again, it, it, just take it for what it's worth, you know? It's it's it is a business of 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 conning the marks. You know what I mean? And then in some ways working and working the and, press, and doing those sort of things. The so, press. Right, and working the press yeah. a lot of time. It is, historically, especially in in Japan, that that is a big deal as well. So I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> so take for what it's worth. I don't know. I don't and know. We're, we're, I'm going to kind of take the it. press rich. They could be working us. Right. That's how it goes. You know, we're big time. You could. And I'm not saying that that is a lie. I'm just saying it might be a lie. I'm, I'm just I'm, saying I'm listen, not going to read it and think of it as immediately as, oh, well, that has to be true because they said that they're not lying about this. Anymore. I am highly skeptical of that spin. That's all I'm saying. I, I'm not. Yeah, and that's I, I don't have any uh, definitive proof or anything like that, but I, I'm, I'm, I am highly skeptical of, of that spin. But um, so Iron Mike Spears, of course, Mr. Fake News, as we like to call him, like spinning this fake news all over. But anyway, yeah, it's an it's a interesting thing for sure going on uh, in terms of the state of Dragon Gate. A lot of other stuff, too. And I think uh, one thing that you mentioned, and we'll talk about it a little bit when we get in the show, but um, and, and Open the Voice Gate does a great job of breaking this down, too, is the young guys. And, and this is really much, pretty much the last time I think we talked about Dragon Gate extensively was, and, and I know you remember this match, was one of my favorite matches of last year. It was, uh, I think it was a 5-on-5. Five five. I don't remember if it was 5-on-5 five five or 4-on-4. Four four. It was like five young dudes versus five old farts. It was Mochizuki and Shima. And I forget all the guys that were in it, but it was like your your ardent Don Fuji was in there, and he was pissed off the entire time. It was your ardent like old school DG guys with your no your young crop, your big R's, your Ben K's, your your shooting Skywalkers or whatever. And those guys, the young guys, waltzed into there, and the old guys were fucking pissed, and it was just a blood match. I mean, that they they went nuts at each other, and it was the old guys just beating the fuck out of the young guys and trying to get respect in them. And then we loved that, and we were looking at that and going, "Oh my god, Dragon Gate has a wealth of riches." Yeah, and that's what that was the talking point that we had on the show for two years. Is like. Look at these guys. They are they're they're 
they're moonwalking into these stars. They got yeah. six guys right now that are, are that are bona fide guys. You got a Yamamura. You got. We were talking about how Tiok and Ada were getting passed up, and and how the millennials were getting yeah. passed up because you had Shun Skywalker and 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 Yoshida and, and, and Yamamura, Yamamura and 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 Ben K and and Big R, and it was like, oh my god, what an embarrassment of riches! Like this company could could ten guys could leave this company, they'd be ready to go, and it's like, well, no, actually, you know, we saw four guys left the company, and none of those other you know young guys. I mean, with ex- the rare exception, I mean, Big R has, has has done pretty well for himself. Ben K has obviously moved up, but the rest of the guys, and we're going to talk about it in the show. None of them have really moved up for various reasons, for injuries, with Yamamura moving on, with just a bunch of issues, with Shun Skywalker not really making that next step up. But they don't have that embarrassment of riches. And now we're at a point where you look at this Kobe World Show and you look at last year's Kobe World Show, and there's not much different. Everyone is pretty much where they were last year, and that's the frustration with, with, with Dragon Gate, is it felt like there was something brewing there, something going, and it just never got to that next level. Those young guys just didn't develop. And they were just kind of left with the same old, same old. And even the same old, same old, a lot of stuff wasn't very interesting in that, too. The units weren't very interesting. You have the, the Berserk goes away, and then Antis comes in, and they're basically the same unit with the same colors. And there's almost no difference whatsoever. And, and yeah, there's just been a lot of issues in Dragon. It's been hard to get into. And, and I know you've been trying to watch, and I've been trying to watch, but I watch, and it just doesn't hook me. And that's the thing. At Dragon Gate, we always said we wouldn't watch it. We'd skip it because we were just being assholes, or we got busy with other stuff. But then we'd watch it and go, oh, my God, I can't believe we're missing this. How can we be you know, ignoring Dragon Gate, we're not doing that anymore. I'm watching, Dra- I'm watching it, I'm trying, and it's just, I watch a show and I'm just like, yeah, that, I don't know, nothing. It's just lifeless. And that's kind of been the issue with Dragon Gate this entire year, and that's a big reason why we haven't talked about it. I, I'm, I don't want to be as harsh on the talent. I think that when you have that much front office turmoil and infighting and, and, and things of that nature, um, it has a lot to do with what, you know, the, the finished product ends up being. Uh, you know, we, we just talked about how important morale is, you know, um, it, it, you know, so when the morale is terrible in the back, that's going to bleed out on the other side of the of the curtain, too. So I, I'm hesitant to say that the young wrestlers aren't working out or anything like that, because even creatively, you're going to put a stall on things. They put the title back on Mochizuki just because he was considered a neutral force when they were going through their turmoil. Because he's a guy who doesn't get involved in politics. And he's a guy who largely stays out of it and just comes to work and does his job. So, um, you know, that's why they parked the title on him. So you you know that before the split became official, it it had become ugly. So I'm hesitant to really get on the talent. Um, You know, and even creatively, I think they just kind of parked things for a while. So now that the split is official and Shima is out of their hair and and they've got this new president with some new philosophies, I will judge them moving forward. They've gotten past the hardest part. So now we see where they go. But this is a very important time in the history of Dragon Gate and, and will really determine their future. Uh, you know, everything happens that happens from really this point forward, especially since, you know, this is where their fiscal year turns over and all of those sorts of things. It's kind of like Kobe World is their WrestleMania, their Wrestle Kingdom, where that's right. where their calendar begins again. So I'm willing to give a fresh slate and put the ugliness of the split behind them because I do think that that's going to bleed into the product. It's impossible for it Yeah, yeah. To. No, for sure. For sure. And that's a big reason why I decided to sit down and watch this whole Kobe World. I got the Dragon Gate Network and I said, you know what? Now, if, now is the perfect time. We always talk about times to jump into companies or whatnot. 
And we said, unfortunately, for better or for worse, we told everybody to jump in at that five, like that five versus five. We told everybody, watch this now, because those are your next big stars, and those are your old guys or whatever. And this is a, a you know, a changing the guard type of match or whatever. And of course, that didn't happen. That ended up, you know, failing miserably uh, for a lot of reasons. And 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 yeah, like you said, I think there is something. Yeah, I'm not trying to be hard as, as hard on like the Shun Skywalkers of the world. I'm sure it's a big holding pattern when you don't know what the hell is going to happen when you go back there and there's there's turmoil. You can tell. You can tell when there's. There's there's awkwardness back there. You can tell when guys aren't on the same page, and it felt like Dragon Gate was just all kind of things were just stalling or going in different directions, or things would start and then stop, and then angles would happen and then go away. And it it felt like this wasn't a Dragon Gate of old. And one of the things that we loved about Dragon Gate forever was that, and and, and we always said this was our, our calling card for when we recommended people to Dragon Gate is that they could always move a guy up anytime they needed to. If you could bring uh, a Susumu from the from the, the lower card and make a main event and it would have been fine. You know, it, you would have lost nothing because they're so good at having everybody basically ready to go at any given moment. And that's kind of been lost in the last year. And I'm excited for that to hopefully come back. I'm excited for it to come back to the point where it feels like a lot of this roster is on equal footing and there isn't such a clear hierarchy between the, the old guys or the, the guys that were around forever and these young guys who just can't seem to get ahead or can't seem to move up a little bit so it'll be really interesting to see how this goes but as i was saying this is the reason why i wanted to watch Kobe world because it's like all right the split is done this is the first post split re- real big sort of big times post split show let's now watch it from here on let's now just kind of judge them from here on and see how things do and, and sort of strike whatever the last year was from the record and assume that that was hopefully as bad as it gets and that things you know look up moving forward and and, and hopefully they do yeah i think with the young guys the two key ones were yamamura and ben k I thought Ben K had all the charisma. I thought Yamamura had a chance to be um, the next great Dragon Gate wrestler. Well, one of those guys is gone and wrestling in China. So, um, you know, uh, and I thought uh, Big R was was maybe a generation ahead of those guys, I think. And, and um, guys like Shun Skywalker, they, they just struck me as, as, as you know, roster depth. Um, Jason Lee's another one who they brought in, you know, recently as a full-time guy. Um, interestingly enough, from Hong Kong, but he stayed with the, uh, you know, the original side. He's another guy to keep your eye on. But let's start with the main event. So we had Yoshino defending the Dreamgate against Shingo. Um, I think we're going to have vastly different opinions on this match because I, I saw you talk about this match briefly. You didn't seem too hot on it. I watched it today right before we started recording. I, I, I found time to at least squeeze in the main event. I'm going to watch the rest of the show later. I fucking love this as, as, as just a standalone um, parachuting in after not really paying super close attention to the company match. I thought this was fucking awesome. A tremendous world title match worked in a very unique way that really showed off the strengths of what Shingo is, uh, which is a bully, a bully heel. Shingo completely dominated this man for 99% of this match. Put him through a table off of the apron, through the floor, through a table on the floor early in the match. Um, hit all of his huge power moves, went through all his signature stuff. And then I realized the story they were telling is Shingo was wearing down. He started hitting lariats with less and less effectiveness as he shook his arm out. He started getting gassed, but not in a shoot way, in a kayfabe way. He started getting tired. His body started wearing down because he couldn't finish Yoshino, despite the fact that he he beat him to pieces for 26 right. minutes. And, and Yoshino had attacked Yoshino, Yoshino had attacked the arm a lot in the beginning yeah. parts of the match as well to kind of realize that that was going to be the, the weak point of, of Shingo. You're right. I'm glad you but, brought that up. The first five minutes or so of the match where Yoshino just destroying Shingo's arm. 
with these wicked, uh, you know, uh, just, just, uh, I don't even know what you would call them, these arm whips that he was doing. And then Takagi just took them apart for the next 25 minutes. And I mean decimated them. Just beat the living shit out of this man. And then, uh, you know, towards the end of the match, Yoshino does this fighting spirit kick out. And he pounds the mat with both of his arms. And he stands up. And he shakes his head. And the crowd goes nuts because they hate Shingo. And, and at that point, I'm like, oh, shit, he's done. Shingo's done. And then Yoshino, you know, the tired Shingo with his arm, and he locks him in that, uh, you know, I, I don't know the name of the, that, that arm lock or whatever. It is. Not his usual finish. Yeah, they, t- they took away our moves on Wikipedia, so we have no chance. So it's, arm it's lock not the, thing is what we're going to have his to big, It's not the sole Naciente thing. That's not what he used. It was like right, right, a right. different sort of, uh, you know, on the arm that he had been working over the whole match. And Shingo just nods his head and says, I'm done. No long back and forth, you know, no long, uh, no comeback from Shingo after. It was just Yoshino going after the arm early and then getting his fucking ass kicked and then just the fighting spirit power of like, I've had enough, that's it. And then he locked on that arm lock and Shingo was done. I thought it was a unique and brilliant way to build a world title match. And it really showed that the bully just lost clean Yoshino was the winner, and then what really put it over the top is the post-match, where Shingo, you know, he he waved his arms down he, to the crowd, he told them to calm down, he's like, I, I lost to the better man, he took the title belt, and for some reason, Yoshino, who, I say for some reason, but this... <laughs> yeah, there's not... This has happened to him many times. Biggest mark in the world, he's like, uh, you know... He's, he's worse than Sting. Yeah, he, he's way worse, worse than, than Sting. Sting at this point. Doi right? has done this to him a half a dozen times. So Yoshino trusts Shingo, and he turns around so Shingo can put the belt on him, and Shingo just fucking decked him, decked him with the title belt. Rich, I'm howling in my living room at this. Then he beats up the referee. His fucking boys come in, and they just clean house. He's doing that goofy laugh of his, that evil laugh. I love Shingo. He may be my favorite wrestler. You know, it's you, you say we, we, we come back to Dragon Game, we say, oh, we missed this, and maybe that's not the feeling we got this time around. I missed Shingo. I love this man in Dragon Gate. I love the fact that he's the biggest asshole, you know, you know, bully fucking prick, you know, high school jock asshole that there is going. I love it. I can't get enough of it. I love this fucking match. I love the post-match attack. And, 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 and you know, this went right in my notebook. Four and a half stars. Loved it. Wow. See, I didn't go, I didn't go, I, I, I didn't hate it. I think that's, you know, it's one of those things where, I didn't love it as much as you. I probably went about three and three quarters, four or so. I, I think Case brought it up. Uh, he wrote this in his review, and I think this is perfect. So Case Lowe did our, our review on the website. Uh, and I think this line basically sums up my thought on this match. He says, I was never bored, but I was never on the edge of my seat. And I think that's how I kind of was for this match is, is it didn't bore me. It wasn't bad. It wasn't like at any point I was just like, oh, let's get going. Because sometimes there's Kobe World main events and this is those Dragon Gate main events. We've talked about many times in yeah. the show. They can kind of lull me to sleep a little bit because sometimes they get a little too long and a little too, you know, much and and this one wasn't that this one was interesting because it was shingo dissecting him and you're like oh my god what's when's it gonna stop like what when's it gonna give like how when is he just gonna finally put away yoshino or when is yoshino gonna kind of get that comeback and and but it didn't really for whatever reason i wasn't like anticipating it as much i was just kind of like all right what's going on here let's what's the next step what's the next step what's the next step and and kind of trying to see what would happen then and and i thought yoshino's comeback was awesome and, and i think the last half of the match was really really good it's just during the period where shingo was kind of beating him down and beating him down i wasn't 
all that excited. I, I don't know. For whatever reason, it just didn't grab me the same way that you did. But it all worked in the end. It all was awesome in the end, and it all made for a really good finish. Uh, and it made for a good moment for Yoshino as well. But I think what was interesting, too, is the crowd didn't really seem to react all that much when Shingo was beating uh, Yoshino up, too. And I think that sort of took it away a little bit for me because I would have loved the crowd to be really on the edge of the seat, really, really, really wanting Yoshino to pull through. And, and they did once he fired up. But while Shingo was spending, you know, about 10 minutes dissecting him, the crowd was pretty silent. I think that maybe took it out, took, took me out of it a little bit. But again, like I like I said, I was never bored. I was just kind of waiting for when the opening str- or the, the closing stretch was going to kind of come or whatever. And I, I think all in all, it was pretty good. I mean, like I said, I'm three and a half, four, somewhere in that range. So I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, not my favorite match on the show. I'll talk about ones that definitely stood out to me, but I think it's still a very good match. I mean, I think it's probably in the top three on the show for me. And I think it was the perfect idea to have Yoshino win it. And he is now, you know, taking on more of a, a figurehead role within the company as well. So that I think is good to have him be the champion. And 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 yeah, it feels like there's a, a direction here a little bit. And it, it, it's interesting to see that he defeated, you know, Shingo and kind of moves on now to his, whoever is next, whether it be Shingo again or, or whoever. But I think Yoshino is a good champion. And I like that this is, you know, his first defense. And, and now you can kind of start the new chapter of Dragon Gate with Yoshino uh, as, as your champion going forward. So no, I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was great for the moment and great for the show. And it, it certainly wasn't a bad match by any means. I just didn't maybe love it as much. as I don't, did. I don't think it was an edge of your seat match. I, so I agree with that. Um, and I don't think it was a match. Look, it didn't have a closing stretch. It just, it, it, it just, and that's why I say it was so unique. Um, yeah. You know, and a lot of times they do on these big shows, these dream gate matches. And we all, we often critique them for this. They try to have these long epics and it's just not what they do. And that's why they often fall flat. And that's not what this was either. Um, this wasn't a poor attempt at a long epic world title match. And it wasn't your usual Dragon Gate psychology either. It was something completely different and something I haven't seen. You know, it's probably why I really like the Brock Lesnar matches and nobody else does because they're so different. I like things that are different um, and, and come off special. And the Brock Lesnar matches all come off special to me. They have a different buzz, a different feel. And same for this. This just felt so different from what I was expecting to see and what we normally see in a Dreamgate match, you know, on this kind of stage. And a lot of it could be too, because I'm such, I'm such a hardcore into this uh, shingle. I mean, there's no question. And I and I talked about this on one of the G1 reviews. You know, and this is all of us when we review and we rate wrestling. There's no question we bump up the people that we like and we're invested in. And I don't think there's anything wrong with admitting that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. And yeah, if I'm in more invested into Shingo than someone else is, I'm going to like this match more. You know, if someone's more invested into Tetsuya Naito than I am, they're going to like his shit more than I they're, Like, his run-of-the-mill shit is going to be more over with them than it is with me. A great match is going to be a great match, I think, no matter what. But, you know, you can apply that to any wrestler. If you're some hardcore Roman Reigns fan, you know, his his fucking three and a quarter star raw match, you know, you're gonna you're you're gonna be way more into that than I am. I'm gonna go, oh, that's another three star Roman Reigns raw match. Okay. You're gonna be on the edge of your seat, you're gonna love it. So maybe that has something to do with it too. I'm just super into Shingo. And I'm super into him and Dragon Gate being a prick. And this played exactly to those strengths of his. So so right, right. that could explain why maybe I'm way higher on this match than other people are. So that's something to think about too. But I really loved, you know, the story told here and the psychology of this match. 
Yeah, there's going to be a match later that uh, I varied a lot from, from other people because there's a guy that I really enjoy and I've always enjoyed. And, and, and no matter what he's in, I always kind of enjoy it more than people that don't like the wrestler. And yeah, we'll talk about it. I mean, it's, it's perfectly normal to, to be that way. So yeah, you're always going to probably like shingle matches more than the consensus. And, that, and that's fine. And, and that's, that's just the way it is uh, for wrestling. But no, really, really good main event there. Uh, Yoshino wins, uh, gets the title defense. We should say, so after uh, Shingo beats him up and, and all that, um, Yoshino closes out the show. And this is from iHeartDG.com. I'll just read it uh, word for word here so you can kind of get an idea. Because I think this is an important promo as well for kind of the future of Dragon Gate. So Yoshino was left to close out the show. Uh, he ran down Takagi for his total lack of decency at the beginning of 2017. He suffered a broken back and a cervical hernia. He didn't think he would get to stand in the ring at Kobe World in the main event ever again. And yeah, that, we should mention that too, that there was a time where Yoshino was basically done. Like We all had just basically resigned to the fate that we're never going to see Yoshino ever again. Because that injury was severe. Everybody was kind of gloom and doom about it, that it was over for him. So it's awesome to see him back here. And and doesn't look like he skipped a beat either. So really good there. But uh, with the support of the fans, he has finally overcome the injury and stands in the Kobe World Ring as Dreamgate champion. Uh, and then he says, with the internal changes earlier this year, the wrestlers and staff have begun to see things in a different way. Uh, KZ and the younger generation have added their own unique flavor to the promotion. The rookies in the opening match today have all the potential to be the ones standing here giving this speech in five to ten years. His generation still has a lot to give as well. He then brings up Jason Lee, who is from Hong Kong. Uh, next week in Maximum and other DGE. Dragon Gate Entertainment, I think that was the one, that, how they're going to separate yeah. the, the, the two, if you were, you were curious earlier. We'll go to his hometown to compete on October 22nd and 23rd. Dragon Gate Entertainment will hold live events of their own in Hong Kong. Uh, next spring, they plan on securing a venue to run regular events. He hinted that these shows will be streamed on the Dragon Gate Network for fans in Japan to watch. Uh, and then he closes out by saying, next year is 2019. Toriyama Japan began in 1999, marking next year the 20th anniversary year. It's an important milestone, so there are plans to make next year's Kobe World bigger than ever. Thank you for coming today and see you again next year. So that is Yoshino's closing promo to the fans at Kobe World. I thought the important part there is KZ and the younger generation have added their own unique flavor to the promotion. So putting them over and really mentioning that all those guys have the ability to be here in five to ten years uh, and you know standing here main eventing the Kobe World, which I think is, is, is the most important part of that entire speech. Yeah, and I think in a time of crisis, normally you would go to Shima. Well, he's gone. The next choice here is Yoshino. So I, I, you know, I totally get it. Um, so I don't know. Let's go through the card. Well, you're going to go through the card because I didn't watch. Did you see the dark match? I did not see the dark match. So you can just skip that one. Okay, so that was Yuki Yoshioka defeating Kota Minoyura. I have not seen this young Kota Minoyura. I've seen Yoshioka. He has, you would have no chance. I think he's been on one show maybe before this. Maybe one or two tops. So, yeah, you have not many opportunities to see him quite yet. So, I've, I don't think I've seen him yet. Okay, so the opener, we had UT, who never seems to move up. I mean, he came in. <laughs> UT has been in the openers for four years. Since the, the moment we've done this podcast, UT has been he in the He came openers. in with the Millennials, and he just, he, <laughs> I don't know, he just made the wrong enemies or yeah. something, and he never moves up. He teamed with uh, Kato Ishida and, and Shun Skywalker, uh, along with uh, Hio Watanabe. And Yuki Yoshioka, uh, and they, uh, what am I looking at here? They beat um, Gamma Kness. Sorry, this is kind of, yeah. There Gamma Kness, uh, Brother Yashi, unfortunately, who's back. Problem Dragon, yeah. and uh, Soshiako Boy. So, what did you think of this one? It looks like the veterans lost this one. So uh, They did, and yeah, this was very much, and this is what I said when when, when you watch this opener, and I, I definitely think this is one match to definitely watch. I'll, I'll give my recommendations, too, because it's, it's a semi-long show. It's not as long as most Kobe World shows, but I get what you want season. There's a lot, so I'll kind of give you my matches that I think you should go out of your way to watch and ones that you can probably skip if you don't want to watch the entire show. But this one you absolutely have to watch because this felt very much like a, okay, let's get these young guys over, and particularly Shun Skywalker, who got the pin. So he has a new, uh, so he has a new look. 
yes, he doesn't look like a fucking idiot anymore. That that oh my god, he was I was all in on Shun Skywalker or whatever I forget what his name was before yeah, yeah. that, and then he came out with whatever the fucking demented Power Rangers yes. thing. He was wearing a skirt and he had tassels and he looked like what the fuck was that? So now he he basically looks kind of like a dollar store dragon kid now. Right. Which is fine. Like it's it's a much better look. Like he doesn't have the full bodysuit anymore. He's got like an exposed upper body. He's wearing pants, but the pants are much more subdued. And he's still wearing a mask and whatnot, which is fine. But like it it is night and day difference between how he looked before. Watanabe is a guy who was very undersized, but you know looked really good. Um, you know, as far as yeah. but did, did, did he look good? Uh, he looked all right. I think the, the problem though is is, is Shun Skywalker looks so good that I think he almost. So you're very impressed. So you've mentioned him a lot. So you're impressed with Skywalker. Yeah, okay. I was, I was. And he was always a guy that I was super impressed about. And then he came out that one show, whatever that, whatever. Yeah, when, he, when he the, started wearing the, the all came... gold bodysuit. Yeah, and it's like, what the he fuck? He looked like, and then, like, you know, he all, looked like Steve like 3PO is what he looked like. He looked terrible. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, he looked like, like he was doing like a shitty cosplay, like a fucking uh, Leva Bates level cosplay of, of C-3PO or whatever. But uh, yeah, and then like, now, so now like, because he was always a pretty decent wrestler and a great high flyer. But this match in particular, you'll see he's all over the ring, and and it's obvious that they were featuring him as well to be that guy, and all the spots were really designed to, to make him really shine. So I think when you come away, you're gonna have the same thought that okay, this is a guy that they definitely have something behind, and and now he has a look that you can actually like promote. So I don't I don't know why the hell they ever had that shitty look with him before, but now things are a little bit more scored together, the so. pin, and he's gonna be teaming with Mochizuki in the All Japan Junior Tag League. So yeah, which is awesome. That's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, to watch. I mean the All Japan Juniors are fucking terrible. Um, but I still am interested in seeing those two guys in a different scene against uh, different opponents. So um, I like that team too, Skywalker and Mochizuki. I fucking love that combo too. So anything with Mochizuki is pretty good in my yeah. head. But I mean, there's people who will tell you the All Japan Juniors are good, but they're lying. They're fucking terrible. The All Japan Juniors <laughs> are fucking terrible. So okay, uh, we had the Triangle Gate. Oh no, I, I missed a match. Uh, no, you missed. Sorry, you missed one. Yeah, sorry. Well, I mean, you can miss this one no matter what. Don't worry. Uh, Ryu Sato. It's Hollywood stalker Ichikawa. So was this fun stalker or was this skippable stalker? Joe, uh, here we have the uh, the time of the match. Tell me what the time of the it's, match. It's uh, ten minutes and seventeen seconds. You tell me if that was fun. Okay, I guess it went too long. It went way too right. long, and like I like Hollywood. I, I like Ishikawa. Like I like that stuff. I love the Hollywood stalker stuff. And there was some funny spots in there. They were doing like a rope running spot or whatever, and there was fun stuff. But man, like seven minutes in, you're like, all right, guys, let's bring her home. Like let's yeah. go. And they uh they got in- involved. I forget there was some you might know him. There's some guy who faced Fedor, some gigantic Japanese MMA guy that got involved in it. I forget what his name was. I don't really care. I didn't know who it was. I looked it up and and I just still didn't care. I, he was some weird like he's like seven foot four monster. He faced Fedor at some point. I don't know what it was. But then there was like four minutes of that, and that w- wasn't that good. It was just way too long. I would say Ishikawa match should be like three minutes long, two minutes long, a minute long, and they're good. This one had fun comedy, but you can pretty much safely skip this one. I think you'll be all right. I think Hollywood stalker Ichikawa is the greatest comedy wrestler of all time. I, oh, he's so good. Yeah, I, I can't help but laugh at most of the time. Most of the time, I would think he does. And they're always original, too. You would think being, like, a comedy guy for as long as he's been, like, he would run out of spots. Like, Toriano. I get why people laugh at Yano, but it's all kind of the same shit. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, over and over. Every time, like, he was doing this rope run thing with Saito, which, I, I mean, if you want to give your, if you have 10 minutes to waste, it's not bad to see that, like, and it's awesome because he's like he's like doing the kind of the old school, the Undertaker old school thing where he's walking on the top rope or whatever, holding on to Rio Saito, and he's able to do it almost the entire way around the ring. And then Saito basically says, "All right, do it on your own without me." And he gets about halfway, and then he celebrates, and then he lands and lands on his nuts and falls down or whatever. But he makes it always look great. Like he's just not, he's so good at being funny. But yeah, this ten minutes is maybe a little too long to be funny. So. 
So Triangle Gate, we had uh, KZ, Susumu, Yokozuka, and Genki Horiguchi. And uh, it's so weird with the Jimmys not calling them Jimmy anymore because the Jimmys lasted so long. So you have to go back to their other names here. You almost forget, you know, that he's... I can't call Kanda anything but Jimmy Kanda. Like, every time I see Kanda, I, I, like, I'm going to say it. I promise later I'm going to call him Jimmy Kanda because I, for me, it's just that's... Oh, he'll be just Jimmy Kanda for me forever. So they successfully defend against Yasushi Kanda, uh, Takashi Yoshida, and Masato Tanaka. Um, yes. K- <laughs> going with your tough. theme, KZ, a younger wrestler who Yoshino mentioned, scores the fall uh, for the champions. So that's notable. I wanted to ask you how Masato Tanaka looked in the Dragon Gate environment. Pretty good, actually. You, you, you would, and, and again, it's like Masato Tanaka, so of course he's going to be good in it. But it's, I, I hope he's in for a while because it's a nice juxtaposition of him versus obviously like KZ and Horiguchi and those sort of guys are all you know, doing a bunch of flashy stuff. And then Masato Tanaka just chops the fuck out of them or just beats them up or does, you know, a sliding drop kick or whatever. Like, he's perfect for Dragon Gate. I think he'd be a great character if they bring him in for, for a little bit more. And especially in this unit as well, he's in it, you know, kind of loosely uh, it, with, you know, Antinus or whatever. I think it'd be really cool if he stayed with that unit and did some stuff because he's, he's a cool bad. I mean, he's a badass. It's like, what more do you have to say about Masato Tanaka, especially in Dragon Gate where, like, guys are, it, it's kind of the, you know, the idol promotion. It's, you know, KZ is doing all these flips and dances and doing all this sort of stuff. And then Masato Tanaka just you know, chops the fuck out of him or, you know, shoulder blocks him or whatever. So I think he'd be really cool because he's a nice kind of different change of pace uh, for Dragon Gate there. And of course, he's not going to become like a full-time Dragon Gate guy, but if they can bring him in for, for shows here and there, I think he'd be a great, uh, great addition here. But uh, KZ, of course, who gets a pinfall, he's a guy that's going to stand out to you in this match. And I uh, definitely want to check out this match. Really, really good stuff here by those guys. And especially, I mean, look at the one team. you got KZ and, and, and Susumu on the one side. I'm a Sato Tanaka on the other, so really good stuff there. But uh, Yoshida, the former Cyber Kong, he looks pretty good in this match as well. But uh, KZ and Susuma really stood out, uh, KZ in particular. All right, so we got the Brave Gate match. Uh, Eita defeats Dragon Kid. These guys have been feuding for forever. Um, and the story here was after the match, Eita took off Dragon Kid's mask. This got a ton of heat. Uh, he said he uh, destroyed his unit. He took his belt, and now he wants to take his mask. So when he faces him again, he's going to finish him off. Uh, how did this all come off to you? I know some hardcore Dragon Gate fans, including Case Low, did not really enjoy this. But it seems like this feud must continue. And uh, and what did you think of this match? I think you really liked it. Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, and 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 I sort of talked to Case about it because he gave it in his review. He gave it, I believe, three stars. And uh, him and him and and Mike on Open the Voice Gate were were kind of putting it down a little bit of like, ah, it was kind of mundane match and it didn't really deliver all that sort of stuff. And I thought it did. I thought it was really fast paced. The crowd was way into it the entire time. There were a lot of really cool counters. I thought, yeah, just in general, I thought it was a really well-paced, really well-worked match, and the crowd was hot throughout, and and I really, really liked it. But I get his angle was essentially that if you've been really following Dragon Gate a lot and watching every single show, that this feud, because it has gone on for so long, they're basically just sick of it. They're just kind of done with these two guys facing each other and done with these two guys feuding with each other, whereas me, who who was kind of had one eye on the promotion but not watching maybe, maybe everything, I then kind of swoop in and parachute in and watch this match. And, and in a vacuum, they said, yeah, the match is really good in a vacuum. We're just sick of seeing these guys. So that was kind of the interesting distinction there is that, that you know, it can be a little bit different. And, and I kind of alluded to it earlier when you were talking about Shingo. Dragon Kid is a guy that, that I have always loved. I've, from the moment I, I, I saw Dragon Kid the first time doing, you know, I, I think it was in a GIF I saw him. And I was like, holy fuck, what is that guy? What is this promotion? I need to find out more about this. I've always been attracted to Dragon Kid. He's kind of been the, the, the entry to me for me into Dragon Gate. So I've always kind of enjoyed him, even though I know that some hardcore Dragon Gate fans get annoyed that he's kind of always sort of in the mix, that he's been around for a while, that he hasn't, you know, done this and this and that or whatever. And I get it. Like, if you watch everything, you're maybe going to be bored of him. You're maybe going to be annoyed of him. But I come at it from an angle of, hey, you know, I maybe am not as hardcore. I kind of jump in. 
And I love the guy's work. I think he's an incredible worker, an all-time great high flyer. So anytime Dragon Kid is in the ring, I'm, I'm interested in it. So I was interested in this match, and I thought Ada played a great role as well. And he's a guy that, that again, we talk about a, a young upstart. Um, he's from a generation before the guys that we've been kind of talking about as well, but he's with the T-Hawks and the UTs and the Millennials and whatnot. But Ata just never seemed to make that next step up. And like even T-Hawk got Kobe World main events, even though he kind of bombed every single time that he did it. But Ata just never quite did it. We saw a Super J-Cup match that he had against Sushi Thunder Liger a few years ago where it was like, holy shit, this guy's awesome. And, and we were hoping that that would be sort of the next step to him becoming, you know, a real deal here. But he hasn't really done much. He's kind of been stuck in this Brave Gate role for a while. But I thought he was good in this match, and he was playing up a mega heel as well. Takes the mask after the match. But, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And I'm interested to see what other people think. Because, you know, we have Case, who obviously, he went three stars, uh, about two and a half sort of in, in between there. And I, I mean, I, I went about four stars to this thing. I really, really liked it. I thought it was really well worked. And, and I thought the, the crowd, like I said, was hot throughout and, and made it for a much better match, too. So, I don't know. It was weird. It was definitely an interesting thing where I was just like, huh, this is weird. We have very different things. And you and I are usually somewhat in line, but, but I get his sort of justification of why he maybe didn't like it nearly as much as, as me. He wanted the, the blow off to this feud. He wanted a really hardcore, like these dudes going out there and just killing themselves. So it's the end of the feud. And then we find out that like, it's not the end of the feud at all because yeah, he takes the mask and he vows that, you know, he's going to pay him back. So it's going to continue here. And that that's probably disappointing to people as well. It looks like they might do a mask match, which uh, this all, this all looks good on paper to me. So I'm, I'm interested to see. Yeah, I, I, I want to see what your thought is when it's done. Yeah, because you're, you're, you're probably coming at it from my angle where you're not seeing everything, yeah. so you might be... Le- and I know you're pretty pro-Dragon Kid as well, right? Yeah, he's, not really... he's great, yeah. So. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. Ace is a guy who hit and miss for me, but Dragon Kid I've always loved. So yeah, if, you're, if you don't like... If you're kind of bored of Dragon Kid, I could see you being kind of mundane on this match, but yeah, I, I thought it was spectacular. So you have Kajitora, Yusuke, Santa Maria, and Flamita. Uh, they defeat Naruki Doi, Jason Lee, and Bandito. Flamita scores the fall on Bandito. This looks like a lot of fun on paper, too. How was this? Yeah, really good. And and the guys that are really going to stand out here, which I thought was really interesting, was Flamita and Bandito. I thought did a ton of stuff. Doi, Doi did Doi stuff. You know, he, did, he was in there a little bit, but you could tell he knew he was, you know, in the fifth match and wasn't really out there to, to deliver on, you know, <laughs> what he what, what he's really capable of. But that's fine. You didn't need that because you had guys like like Hattasora, Flamita, Bandito, uh, Santa Maria, Jason Lee. They were all doing some some good stuff here. But when it's all done, I think you should definitely watch this match. Absolutely. It's about 15 minutes or so. A lot of fun work. But uh, I think really keep an eye on Bandito and Flamita. I thought those guys both looked great. And uh, I guess it's a good time to mention this as well, that Bandito was uh, named for All In as well. So that Bandito will be there uh, at All In. And if you haven't seen him before, uh, definitely check him out. And, and Flamita, you'll be surprised. He put on a, uh, a lot of muscle. He's been on that uh, Mexican wrestler diet uh, where sometimes they just gain like 20 pounds of muscle out of nowhere. And Flamita did that. So, uh, But it, it looks good on him. And it, it, it kind of worked and he didn't really lose much of his speed. But I think you'll be taken aback immediately. It took me a while. I was like, who is that? And it was like, oh my God, it's Flamita. But yeah, he's uh, muscular. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen Flamita recently or if this just came about in the last month or so, but he uh, has gained a lot of mass. I saw him live. He didn't look too big. So maybe this is a recent development. But, uh, yeah. And another six-man tag. And I think uh, Masaki Mochizuki was actually in there with four or five guys that are actually older than him. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to, you know, I meant to look at who was the youngest guy in this match. I believe Punch be Tamanaga was the youngest. Mile, by a mile. Yeah, and then after him, well, Punch is the easy answer there. But Don let me, let me Fuji's probably the second youngest guy in the match. <laughs> That's what I was going to So anyway, well, you're looking that up. It was Masaki Mochizuki, Tatsumi Fujinami, and Hiro Saito uh, defeating Yoshiaki Fujiwara, who pops into Dragon Gate probably once a year, Don Fuji, and the aforementioned Punch Tamanaga. Now, what, what jumps at me at this is booking guys like Tatsumi Fujinami, Hiro Saito, and Fujiwara tells me that they were desperate to put some people in this building. 
So that that's what immediately screams at me. It's not that they don't have guest stars come into a Kobe world now and then, but it's usually in the opener. A lot of times it's a versus stalker, but they loaded up a match with a bunch of legends, uh, just hoping to get a couple extra ticket buys. But uh, yeah, I'm sure Fuji's the second youngest guy here, right? Yeah, I think he is. Yeah, of course, punches. We're going to disqualify him because he's 31. So yeah. He doesn't count in this uh, this mix here. But uh, yeah, so Don Fuji is 48, I believe. 48, uh, 48. Yeah, so Mo- Mochizuki Probably. is what 50, uh, 48. He's 48 yeah, as well. Close, so yeah. um, him and oh, who is younger here? Oh, oh, so Don Fuji was born in July 6. Oh, he just missed his birthday. Sorry, Don Fuji. Uh, July 6, 1970. Mochizuki was January 17th, 1970. So, um, Fuji a little bit younger by a uh, by a few months here, but. Uh, yeah, no, I think anytime you book uh, Fujinami and, and, and Hiro Saito, and, and you see this on a lot of those shows where it's just like random, you know, middle of the, and we see it from like all, you know, all Japan will do that on their big shows, but it tends to be kind of the same guys. And like Fujinami tends to be one of those guys that always seems to get the call, which that's fine. He goes out there and does good stuff. Fujiwara is one of those guys as well. But uh, yeah, to have this be six, uh, you know, the sixth match, you know, two from the top or, or three from the top, I should say, uh, definitely screams, hey, uh, come buy some extra tickets because Fujinami is going to be there. Or, you know, come buy some extra because Fujiwara is going to be there. So, yeah, I think there was definitely a, uh, uh, it w- like you said, it wasn't an opener. It wasn't just a throwaway. I mean, these two dudes had, like, a legit match here. It went, like, 15 minutes. It came out of intermission. Like, I, I almost skipped this match because they had their intermission. I was kind of going through the guide bar, and I went to, like, the, the, the Twin Gate match. And I'm wondering, I'm like, wait a minute, that intermission was really long. There's no way it was that long. And I scroll back, and then Fujinami's out there, like, chopping you know, Fujiwara, and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, oh, shit, why is this match? Like, I thought maybe I missed it in the opener, maybe it was a dark match. No, this match came out of intermission. Yeah. And don't watch it, though. It's like 15 minutes, and it's, it's really sh- bad. <laughs> so well, it's I could look at this and tell you it's good. shit. I mean, you know. Yeah, it's just not good at all. It's way too long to be bold. Yeah. yeah. Fujiwara manages not to turn to dust in the ring, and everyone praises him <laughs> like he's doing something great. Right. You notice that? Like, if Fujiwara gets through a match without tripping over his own old feet, people fall over themselves to say how great he is. I mean, the guy's a million years old, and yeah, he can, it, you know, yeah, he's one of the best workers in this company yeah, just by stepping in the ring. Yeah, he's, he's 69 right it's now. It's silly so. watching people sell for him. I mean, you know, so yeah, I'm sure that that you know, Hiro Saito, you know, another guy who who pops up every now and then, and he hasn't. He's been in a couple of Rambo's, I think. And, um, yes, yes, yeah. He, uh, I don't remember. Ah, you guys are fucking old. You know, it's what do you want? It's not like I'm ripping them. It's just people go too crazy when they do basic things. You know, um, right, right. Okay, so then we've got the Twin Gate match, which is Yamato and BB Hulk. Um, they defeated Big R Shimizu and Ben K. So Big R Shimizu and Ben K lose the Twin Gate titles to Yamato and Hulk, according to the inmates at Cage Match, Rich. <laughs> oh, are always yeah, this, yeah, this was the match of the night. Uh, agree or disagree with that, and tell me what you think of the match. Hundred percent agree. Absolutely, you have to watch this match. I know that you said that you loved the, the, the Yoshino uh, Shingo. I am very curious what you think of this one too, because you went uh, what four and a half, four for what did you do for the minute of your stars? Four and a half. Okay, I'm very you eh, get the snowflakes ready, man. You're gonna love this one. This is right up your alley as well. Uh, great story with Yamato and BB Hulk being kind of the old guard against Big R and Ben K. But unlike the rest of the show where the young guys seem to kind of get the advantage, this time Yamato and BB Hulk got the advantage, but Big R and, and, and Ben K looked great in defeat anyway. I mean, those two dudes are awesome, and, and, and they do this incredible move. I, th- I don't know if you've seen it yet, but uh, Big R essentially throws somebody in the air, and Big R does like a spear to the it guy in the air. It's just, sick move. Oh, it my so God. Sick. It's so good. And I forget who they do it to here. I, I wish I, 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 don't, I want to look it up, but um, whoever they do it to sells it like a fucking million bucks. It just looks amazing. And the guy like, jumps halfway across the ring and you just you're gonna jump off your chair when you see it it's 
And, and you won't know when it's going to come because it comes at kind of a weird point in the match. I don't want to say a weird point. A, mat, a point in the match where you don't expect it to come, but you're going to jump off your seat. You're going to absolutely fucking love it. It's an incredible The camera game. work usually is incredible because you don't see it yet. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's exactly how it is. Like, some guy slides in the ring and you're like, what's going on here? And then all of a sudden, Ben K comes out of fucking nowhere and just puts this guy into the eighth row. It's just awesome stuff there. But yeah, no, Ben K and Big R looked awesome in this. Yamato and BB Hulk, I'm usually very you know negative on BB Hulk. He busted his ass here. He uh, doesn't look like the BB Hulk of old. He's kind of fat and doesn't really seem to care all that much about, you know, doing his hair or being, you know, very charismatic. And But he goes in there and he's just, he's just beating the hell out of these guys, chopping them, doing really stiff kicks and stuff. So it's, it's kind of cool to see this sort of new, whatever this, whatever BB Hulk's going to be moving forward. It's really cool to kind of see this here uh, against these young guys. But he sort of works as kind of the grizzled veteran. Yamato sort of works that way as well. But Big R and Ben K just doing tons of counters, tons of awesome kickouts in this. You don't know who's going to win. It's just, you know, even though you know, like, and again, like, you know now, I spoiled it for you, but you're still going to pop for some of these near falls, too, because they just do a great job of them. But, yeah, it was about eight, 28 minutes. I think it's the longest match. Yeah, it was It was the longest match on the show, but uh, really spectacular here. This is no doubt my match of the night, and I think it's going to be yours as well. Um, Hulk is 40, and he's breaking down, and there's a yeah. lot of talk that he's going to be winding down. So, um, you know, there, there's that aspect, too. But that's Kobe World, and I will finish watching the show some point this week and um and and we'll see what i thought about the twin gate match and that break gate match and some of the other stuff so uh, it felt good to talk about uh, real, real quickly here yeah it did real quickly uh there was a post uh, match angle for this one as well so uh, uh shimizu this is from iheartdg.com as well uh, shimizu was broken up after the loss but he still called doi into the ring doi told shimizu if he was going to blame the loss on him he should just keep it to himself uh, Shimizu was contrite. He got full of himself, and he's been incredibly rude to Doi in recent months. Losing today has given him perspective. He still has a lot to learn, and at his current level, he holds Doi back. He's sorry and hopes Doi will forgive him. So Big R sort of apologizing to his, his stablemate Maximum, uh, Hiroki, Doi, or, or Hiroki Doi, and then apparently there's going to be something with them, too. Uh, Hiroki Doi, I don't know if he's saying Hiroki Doi. Uh, there's going to be something with them coming up later. I don't know if they're going to team or, or Big R is going to break off from the unit or whatever, but they definitely made something there. Doi... Of course, gave him like that. Yeah, no, it's okay, buddy. But you know, it's it's Doi, so it's not okay. <laughs> like he's a fucking prick, and there's no way that he's just gonna be like, yeah, it's it's all right, man. Like we'll get, we'll get him next time. Like there's no way of that. And Ben K didn't give a shit about any of this. He just walked to the back and said, ah, whatever, we'll do it next time. So uh, I like the I like the direction that Ben K is going in. And Big R, it'll be nice to see him. And and if there's gonna be one of these two dudes, I mean, if we talk about this year in Dragon Gate, one of these two dudes, I think it, it's gonna be a in some way a failure in Dragon Gate if one of these two guys isn't emerging as a main event guy, a guy that's in the title mix or whatever, because these guys are ready for it. They're, they're, they're different. They stand out this, they're in the semi-main event, having a great match. Like I really, really hope so. I don't know which one it's going to be, whether it be Ben K or Shimizu. Ben K is still like super green too. He's only been in wrestling, I think like two or three years or whatever. Big R has a little bit more under his belt. So maybe it's going to be big R, but uh, definitely hope that one of these two guys makes that next leap in this year. And I think it's gonna be important for Dragon Gate to, to make that. So make one of these guys move up uh, to the next level and hopefully it happens. All right. I, uh, you know, I wish I could have contributed more. I just didn't have the fucking time to, to watch. All no, you got to watch these G1s. You got to watch Ring of Honor. You got to watch 205 Live. You got to watch NXT. You got too much to watch here. It's it's tough. This is the summer's. Cobra World's always tough. We always try to make sure that we talk about it. But man, it always comes up at a time where I'm like, fuck. Like, it's always like the busiest G1 week, too. Cause it, and like, I've skipped, I had to skip two G1 shows. So I'm going to let you have to do. Because I, I was like, I, I want to watch Cobra yeah. World. I, I'm sorry, <laughs> New Japan. I just got to skip you. You don't have that, that benefit because you're doing the show reviews, but I just had to let Dragon Gate. I, I couldn't do both. There was no way to sustainably do both. And I'm home alone all weekend. I could have had all time, but there's just no fucking time in the day. You also have to leave the house sometimes uh, and do some things. So, yeah, G- no, I, was, I was glad. But definitely uh, G- definitely watch Kobe G- World. G1 is the true eater of worlds. I mean, it just... It, just... it really is, yeah. 
Like, dude, that Saturday that I did it, I woke up at, like, so I had to drop Michelle off at the airport at, like, 4 a.m. or whatever. So I drop her off. I come home, like, let's go. Here we go. I get a pot of coffee ready to go. I'm ready to watch. I watch the G1. I do the show review. And it's, like, 1230, and I have to go to AEW, and I have to leave at, like, 4. And I was like, fuck, the whole day's gone. Like, god damn it. Like, it's just, like, it sucks all your time. And I skipped entrances. I skipped the intermissions. And it's still, it's just a long show. And, like, man, every single night, it is, it is as you said, the eater of world. It just takes up your time. So we got a lot of WWE to talk about. This is like yes, this is do. like bouncing around Titan, right? I mean, <laughs> right. Isn't... we should play some music. What, what music should I play for uh, bouncing around? The Titan? old WrestleMania theme, bouncing around right? New York. Yeah, I could do that. The, the old Linda McMahon uh, WrestleMania theme. I could do yeah, that. You know, so... yeah, well, why don't you introduce it? Introduce it as a bouncing around New York or bouncing around Titan. Bouncing around Titan. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> okay, Rich, are you ready to bounce around Titan? First up was the announcement of October 28th at Nassau Coliseum. Well, Stephanie McMahon announced this, of course. Uh, the, w- the inventor of women's wrestling. <laughs> With the force. That's right. It'll be WWE Evolution, which will be an all-female uh, pay-per-view event. So there will be more than 50 female performers on the show. That will encompass Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. All three of those titles will be defended. And the finals of the Mae Young Classic. So, uh... What do you think of this? I think that way too much focus is being given on whether WWE's intentions are true here or whether they're making up for the dopey greatest Royal Rumble. I don't really care about any of that. Um, What interests me about this personally is that, um, you know, that the the three, that first of all, all three female uh, brands will be represented, plus the Mae Young Classic. And a lot of these women's matches will really get a chance to stretch their legs and breathe a little bit because it's encompassing the entire show. And we'll see some down card stuff because lately the titles have been dominated by people like Carmella and Alexa Bliss and they're having gimmick heavy matches. And, you know, maybe now we'll get to see some of these down card feuds get featured on a pay-per-view and we'll see people like, you know, this Sasha Banks, Bailey stuff that's going on and, and some of these other things. So to me, I don't really care about the motives. All I care about is what am I going to get on my 999 network on October 28th? And I think that we can get a a very interesting show. That's the way I'm looking at this. How do you look at it? Yeah, I'm I'm exactly the same. I couldn't possibly give a shit about the motives of it or whatever. I I don't care. If if they did it because they're trying to cover up for one thing or or whatever, I don't care. I'm interested in seeing the show because I think it's just different. and, And that's what we scream about is just break the cycle a little bit. Do something different. And this is going to be super cool to see this month of the build to this pay-per-view is now, you know, what, what are the, what are the men doing in this month or whatever? So, you know, so often we, you know, the women are kind of the, the tag alongs in, in stuff, even in the post, even in this, you know, give divas a chance, you know, revolution, all this or whatever, there's still at most one diva feud. And it's always over the title. Like we always complain about it. it's never, or it's very rarely another feud that that's, that's building for some other reason. It's very rarely that you get two women's matches. We saw it a little bit with the split pay-per-views where we saw the, the women's matches that just happened without a title. But otherwise, they're kind of the add-ons to the men's. Well, now it's like, what are you know, what's your Braun Strowman going to do this month? What's your Roman Reigns going to do this month? Because all of it has to go into building these these women's matches. I would hope. I hope that they don't half-ass it. I really hope that they then say, okay, look, like this month, it's going to be a big deal. Sasha Banks is going to get a main event spot, and and and, and Bailey's going to be doing this in the, in the main event, and, and there's going to be a focus on a Becky Lynch on SmackDown, and Oscar's going to have to be rehabbed, and and they're bringing the girls in from NXT and NXT UK too. So like, is Tony Storm going to be mixing it up? Is is, is you know. Uh, is Lacey Evans going to be on Raw and, and doing stuff or, you know, 
Kyrie Sane's gonna be doing stuff. Shayna Baszler, like, there's a lot of cool stuff. And and more than anything, again, like, yeah, I don't give a shit about the motivate the motivation or the reasons or whatever. I just care that we're hopefully in October gonna get a really interesting month of of, of TV and really interesting month of, of of build to this pay per view, which is long overdue as well, doing the women's only. So I think it's a no brainer and it's pretty cool. I, I can't wait to see how it ends up. Playing yeah, the out. politics t- uh, here to me are boring. Um, I, I think they may do two. I mean, is there any indication that they won't do two shows that month? Um. I don't know, yeah, because they well they had a show in Boston. I think they had a WWE like main roster pay per view scheduled for Boston, and that has been canceled. Oh, so there you go. So, so maybe they... I don't know. Yeah, so it's weird. I, I don't know. We we don't know quite yet, but they did cancel whatever that other show was. So it might just be a one show. Like this is all leading to this this month. This would be really fascinating to see how that goes in October. Look, the pay per views in this company this year have been flat out fucking awful. So yeah, so I'm ready for anything. It, I'm ready for anything. Different. Exactly. You know, any, anything different, um, this could, look, this will be exciting just because it's the first one, the pure novelty of it. First, any, you know, anytime you do something completely different like this that you've never done before, there's a novelty aspect. Um, I think the fact that all the brands are going to be involved, and I think the fact that, I, I think that it may be booked and laid out more like something on the network. If you're, if, if, if you're understanding what I'm trying to say, I, I don't know if you're going to get, look, if, if, if Vince McMahon and his cronies are running this thing, I, I feel like it won't be any better than the shows that we're getting on a month in month out basis. But because you have all brands involved, I think Vince McMahon will keep his hands off of a Tony Storm match or a Shayna Baszler title defense or whoever, you know, this is October. This may as well be 10 years from now. The way things move in this company, but I I think that uh, as long as the matches are independently laid out and 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 uh, and, and booked by uh, the the people who normally book this stuff, then I I think I'm conveying myself horribly. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I'm, I'm getting yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, sure. what I'm trying to say is as long as the NXT stuff and the NXT UK stuff and the May Young stuff is handled by the Triple H half of of the company. I think this can be an excellent show. I have no hope for anything involved, for anything having to do with the main roster. I am so disgusted and fed up with the main roster um, and, and, and everything having to do with it that I have no hope for anything being handled by that end of the company. The other stuff I think could be good and I think can carry a show like this. If they treat it as something special and decide not to fuck around um, and, and, and let everybody just go out there and wrestle, I think it would be a great show. Yeah, or, or more than anything, just maybe let NXT people do the heavy lifting because most of the women on this roster, it came up from NXT. All the really ones that have stood out or whatever have, have all, I mean, really, almost all of them, I think. If you, if you, if you have, yeah, I'm trying to think of any of them. I mean, I think every single one of them basically came up through this NXT system. And because it is going to be involving NXT UK and because it's going to be involving NXT, Vince would be very smart to just say, hey, look, you know, let, let, let Triple H run this thing. You know, you know what I mean? Like, he's he's got more hands-on with most of these guys or let, you know, the NXT guys, what you're William Regals, you're... Your, your, your sailor mottos and, and and those people sort of take the charge a little bit more and 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 say hey you know we know what what makes these people tick we know the good matchups we know all this sort of stuff I'm kind of dubious on that because it's Vince McMahon and he's kind of a control freak but this would be a great opportunity for him to say okay guys this is yours this is your month just kind of take it you know what I mean just, well just I'm, run with I'm, it I'm skeptical it. too because look at whenever there's a 205 live look at the 205 live match on WrestleMania ended up yeah. being produced by the main roster people and it, it was a shit show. 
Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see how that how that works out. So, so I don't know. I don't know either. I, I, I my fear is that NXT, NXT UK, and May Young match are treated as like, like I guess sideshow is not the right word, but side attractions on the show. And these are heavily main roster. It's a heavily main roster focused show with a lot of the same bullshit that we're getting month in month out on 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 the normal on the regular pay-per-views. So. Yeah. It's still a ways off, so we'll have to see what the build is like. Uh, but yeah, I you know it, it it's an interesting it, it'll be an interesting novelty for the first time aspect of it. And I do think it does have a chance to be to be because you know the performers will be really fucking jazzed up to to do great. Oh, for sure. So yeah, everybody everybody top down will be will be all in on it. And what's cool too is uh, the fifty women they said will wrestle on the show, yeah. which is quite a lot. So I'm sure there'll be. There'll be battle royals. I'm sure there'll be something like that. Multi. They're going to try to shoehorn everybody on. They don't want to leave yeah. anyone out. So it's going to be a parade. It's going to be a parade of everybody in there. Yeah, you don't want to leave because they don't want to say, "Hey, it's all women." And then, like you know, they use ten women, and, and half the roster of women are just sitting there in the back going, "Oh, all right." Well, Which could like, hurt it, this if is... it if you're trying to shoehorn everyone on. Sure, right. Uh, right. You're probably going to get some dopey battle royal or something. I'm sure it'll be like a thirty women battle royal, and then you're. Your, your core, like, 20 or so people in, in, in big-time matches or whatnot. But we'll see. One thing I'm a little worried about, uh, Nassau Coliseum, uh, Long Island, isn't that usually a pretty bad crowd? Yeah, because it's... Like, it's a, a quiet crowd. It's an old, shitty building, which doesn't help. Yeah. It's a dump. So, um, and yeah, it, it, it's, it's the last building in that area, New York, New Jersey, that you want to run. So, yeah, it, it's a shitty building, but, um, you know, I, I'm surprised it's still standing, honestly. So, yeah, the Islanders aren't even there anymore, They've been, right? talk, they they been talking out. about replacing Nassau Coliseum for as long as I can remember. Like, two decades they've been <laughs> talking about just tearing that fucker down and replacing it. So, uh, who knows? Topic number two as we bounce around tight. Uh, the NXT title change has aired. Tommaso Ciampa has defeated Aleister Black. First of all, did you see the match? I have not seen it yet, so I don't, well, uh, don't want to get too much to the discussion. Yeah, so. sorry. I haven't seen it. I thought I was going to have time today, but I didn't see it. I saw the match and reviewed it on the TV reviews. People can listen there if they want the detailed breakdown. But something else I talked about on the reviews, and I want to get your take. Alistair Black, I think, without question, his title reign is in the lower rung of NXT title. So it was completely overshadowed by Gargano and Ciampa all, all the way through. Even the night that he won the title, Gargano and Ciampa made a vented in New Orleans. And had ladder match. It was just overshadowed the entire run, his entire uh, title run. Um, do you think it's the worst, or the, or maybe not? Maybe worst is harsh. Is it the? Is it the? Uh, nah, I mean, I'm <laughs> looking at the list. It might be. I mean, they have not really done bad reigns all that much. I mean, the only one that I would may, I mean, there's there was your quick Sami Zayn run, but that barely counts, and that was kind of a cool story too. But <sighs> the Sami Zayn this... run had the the Sami Zayn thing had the great Kevin Owens angle. Right, exactly. Right, it was a great angle, even if Sammy and I don't want Sammy Zayn to have a long reign. I wanted Sammy Zayn to lose. The only one I thought was in the same conversation was the Drew McIntyre. That was another one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or Drew Gall. What was he at that point? Drew McIntyre. He was McIntyre. Yeah, he was. McIntyre. Uh, because even like Bobby Roode, but you look at the Roode. Look, that Bobby Roode head Dale with Tommy match was like the best match both guys had in the company. Yeah, right. Um, you know, and he had a good match against Nakamura. And, you know, and, and Rude was a hot champion there, at least. Yeah, I, um, I didn't much like his reign, but I think it was substantially think better than this this Aleister Black one. Yeah. 
So these are the bottom rung ones. I mean, maybe Samoa Joe when he traded. Yeah, there back was and a second. Yeah, that that's the one that right now I'm kind of sticking out is that. So Samoa Joe had the title for a long time. That was a really good reign, his first one. Then he lost to Nakamura. Then he won it back from Nakamura, and then they traded. Um, and then Nakamura won it back like just 14 days later, or something like that. You know, yeah. when they were in Osaka. So that one's not great. But then other than that, I mean, really, you look at the original. You know, Seth Rollins has the championship for for a while when they first make it. Uh, Big E has it. Then the Bo Dallas reign. Then Neville, and then Zayn, then Owens, then Balor, and then we're into that Samoa Joe. So there's not many of them. I mean, there's the way, 16 uh, the to way, choose from in total. So And the way I looked at it, I didn't count any. I counted Network Era. So I started with Bo Dallas. Right, second right. half of his was Network Era. I don't really care about Seth Rollins on, you know, when people are watching grainy copies of NXT on Russian 2. I mean, you know, it, it's that's a whole different era. Same thing with Big E. So, you know, I was looking at Bo Dallas on where Bo Dallas was over like a motherfucker. In no, that was fucking awesome. No, his, his reign was great. So don't, uh, yeah, that, so I, don't look at the name and go, oh, but it's Bo Dallas. No, he was great. And, the, and then when Neville finally beat him, it was awesome, too. Was Neville defend and Neville defended on TV like every week. I yes. mean, he had, and, and had, he had for almost 300 days, too. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's like, I, I really think Alistair Black, it, you know, you can make an argument that it wasn't the worst run. It was certainly overshadowed the whole time. He played second fiddle. To a to a to a different to another feud. He was never the main event. Um, you know, he had a forgettable title defense against Eric Young that no one even remembers. Uh, the title win was great. It was overshadowed and arguably the third best match on the show. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, you know the Lars Sullivan match was good, but no, the only thing anyone's going to remember is the botch, or the missed kick that Lars Sullivan sold. Um, you know, and then you have the title change, which you didn't see it yet. I might, I don't understand. People are raving about this match, Rich. It was a fucking three-star match. I, I, you know, with, 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 you know, Gargano getting involved. and He was even overshadowed in his title loss. Right, yeah, it was, all, like, all the title losses about Gargano and Ciampa. I read, I read the report and I kind of, I watched a YouTube video, so I saw that. I haven't seen the whole thing yet, but yeah, it doesn't yeah. look very appealing to me. It doesn't look like, it, it, it doesn't look like the type of match that I'm going to enjoy all that much. I'll see. I'll go in with an open mind, of course, because I, I, I love Ciampa. I love everybody involved in it, so I hope that it's going to be good, but I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm skeptical. It was fine. Alistair Black strikes me as the kind of guy who they should just put on the main roster. I think they all see him as a potential main roster star. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's really nothing left for him to do. There's not much left for guys to do when they lose the NXT title. Same thing with the NXT women's title. There's not much left for those women to do. That's kind of like you're leaving the territory. Um, But he may be, the storyline may be going in a direction where he's upset with Gano for getting involved. So, who knows? But uh, I, my big takeaway is a very nondescript, overshadowed run. Maybe overshadowed, unfairly nondescript, because it was overshadowed. Maybe we'd look at his title run different if he was treated as the main event. But he wasn't. He was. He was the. He was a semi-main eventer during his title. Run. Yeah. So and that that always hurts. That that always will put a rain down a little bit. I mean, CM Punk had a great rain in WWE for a while, or you know, in the midst of his whatever, how many days or whatever. But there was numerous pay-per-views where he was, you know, third match. On the you know top or whatever you know Johnny Ace and and John Cena was main eventing or whatever and it kind of puts a damper on a title reign no matter what so yeah that's always going to be if you're not the guy and you're not kind of the central focus no matter how no matter you having the title it just never quite works all that well so yeah it's uh it'll be interesting to see how it goes historically but yeah looking out in its face right now I'm looking at all these other reigns there's not a lot to choose from and other than like quickie little trade title reigns or, or angles uh, I'm, in terms of sustained reigns this is probably the worst so far so it's, kind of it's definitely bottom rung. I think I liked it better than uh, McIntyre's. Yeah, yeah, we'd have to we'd have to really break that down a little bit more, but we'll we'll get to that. So Dave Meltzer, 
uh, is reporting that AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura's contracts WWE are up in February. I also believe Gallows and Anderson. Um, he also reports that New Japan is interested in bringing Nakamura back. Rich, I guess it's two pronged. Do you see any of those guys going back to New Japan, number one? And, well, why don't you answer that first? And then, we'll, then I'll, I'll, I'll ask the second part of the question. I, I could see Nakamura maybe, but he might be cool just. We, we, whether I enjoy what Nakamura is doing or whatnot, he's getting a pretty good check to hit guys in the nuts and make funny faces. So I would probably keep doing that, uh, to be honest. If he if he wants to do more, if he really hungers to do more, I I could see him coming back. But I think, given his age and given sort of things I I, I think about Nakamura, I think he's probably good in WWE. So I'd imagine he tries to stay. But if if things fall through, I think he probably would welcome a, a, a return to New Japan. But I tend to think he's probably okay being in WWE. And I would be okay, too, given the type of money I am to hit people in the nuts. But. I think Nakamura and Carl Anderson are locks to go back to New Japan at some point. I don't know if it'll be in February. Yeah, oh no, I think at some point he will. I'm just saying right now he's probably got... The, the getting's pretty good. And especially, like, knowing what the circumstances is with, with, with the New Japan ROH show and MSG or whatnot, I, I, I can't imagine... Vince and WWE just saying, yeah, you know what, Nakamura, just go. Who cares? Whatever. I think that's a guy they're going to try to keep for, for at least a little bit. I think at some point, he's going to end his career in New Japan, no doubt. He's definitely going to go back there at some point. I don't know if it's going to be this year right now. I think he's, he's they're all, they're going to want to They're going to want to They're going to want to keep all these guys, including Daniel Bryan and, you know, uh, talking about Dexter. It's like they're bringing Matt Riddle in. That, it, you see, people who downplayed that MSG show just... I don't know what plan. Idiots. They're fucking it's idiots. Just, they don't the, follow wrestling. <laughs> You're not paying attention. The ripple effects that this is going to have on everything from yeah. contracts to everything else, you know, affecting who comes back, who doesn't sure, I don't back, think Vince cares about Ring gonna... of Honor. They're indie darlings in a bingo hall. You're an idiot. You're a moron. Yeah, you You're just, not paying you're not, attention. You don't understand You don't pay attention to any, any landscape at ever. 30 years of landscape. You know, we've seen the landscape for a long time. It doesn't matter how big you are. Doesn't matter what you are. It, it's competition. Any wrestling that's not WWE is competition to him. So and it just and it just figures into everything now. But uh, I don't see AJ Styles leaving. WWE no, age, I think yeah. No, at his age guy, and, and, and given his family money. circumstances, yeah, I think he's he's perfect where he's at. And 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 yeah, no, I think I, I don't. Think he's and everything I've always heard is that Carl Anderson is, has not been happy there. Is desperately wants to go back to New Japan and hang out with his bull club buddies. And that Gallows is the one that wants to stay. So, uh, you know, we'll see how that shakes out, that situation, uh, and, and if any of that has changed. And then we have, uh, and look, and when Nakamura goes back, and I don't know if it'll be, he'll go back at some point before he's old. I think he'll go back to Japan. Uh, where do you think he would slot in? In my opinion, he would slot in pretty much where he was before, as a solid 1B who headlines maybe some of the smaller shows and not some of the, uh, you know, uh, you, you know, not your uh, Dominions or your King of Pro Wrestlings or your Wrestle Kingdoms, but, you know, your, your new beginnings and your shows like that. As a secondary champion, I don't think he'd ever be IWGP heavyweight champion again. I think they have other guys in line, other guys who are better suited for the role. I think he'd slot right back in where he was before. I, I You yeah. know, what do you think? No, I 100% agree, and, that, and that's we were kind of a discussion was happening a little bit earlier about that in, in our Slack, and I was I 100% agree with that, and that's kind of what I was uh, going to get at as well is that when he comes back, it's they're not going to put him in. He's not going to be main eventing a Wrestle Kingdom, but yeah, you don't need him to. You don't need him to win the IWGP Championship. You just need him to be what he was before, and he's a tremendous boon to business, being what he was, being that B show guy, being the one B as you said, being the guy that that 
is it, maybe he goes right back to the Intercontinental Championship. Maybe he goes, I mean, he's always in the mix. He's always doing stuff, but he doesn't necessarily need to be that top, top guy. And and I don't think he needs it either. I think it would be kind of a, 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 a sort of a distraction in some ways to have him win the IWGP title. I think he's just better kind of being Nakamura and, and, and doing his thing. And I think he's more than anything just kind of an attraction as well. You kind of, especially when he comes back and if and when he comes back, I think you, you, you don't slot him in as like, a guy that's a vital part of our company and more or less like a guy that's just there that, that can help business a little bit, show up to the shows, do some stuff, but isn't like a vital, we need this guy to, to survive type thing. And I think they've they've grown beyond him in, in some ways. And that's not to say they won't welcome him back with open arms and that he won't help business. But I think, I mean, the stories have kind of grown in beyond him. So if he does come in, I think he, he would be slotted, yeah, sort of in, 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 not the middle, but kind of the upper mid card, which is fine. That's where he was before too. People kind of forget that, that that's what his role was. And it's in a very important role, as we've talked about many, many times. Being that B show main eventer is very, very important for New Japan, and 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 yeah, him being that again would be fine. I think. I think he'd welcome it. I think they'd welcome it. So, yeah, you could put him in there with anybody and fill and fill a medium sized building. Yeah, like Nakamura Goto. Those are some. Yeah, Nakamura. And what would be cool too is like, yeah, this is you know he left in what 2016. I mean, my God, think of all the different matches that are there already that he hasn't had before. That that matches that we have barely scratched the surface. I mean, Kenny Omega is a completely different guy than he was when he left. Sonata is a completely different guy. He's got stuff with. With guys like Evil and so I mean, it, it's up and down the company. There's guys that that he has never had stuff, you know, big time profile matches with, or or guys that weren't what they were now. So I mean, yeah, it would be awesome to see him come back there. But I just I don't know about February, but at some point he will come back. So WWE interested in Juice Robinson. Juice Robinson said all the right things in the lead up to Cow Palace, how he wants to stay in Japan forever, blah blah blah, saying all the company line. But that's what wrestlers have to say when they work somewhere. Now we'll see. Now that the rubber meets the road and we know WWE is interested in him, if Juice Robinson heads back. Um, Rich, what do you think? What does your gut tell you? Go out on a limb. Does he yeah, my gut is not? that he stays in New Japan. My gut is that he's, he, he found a career renaissance here and understands what he's got going. But, I mean, I don't I don't know what that check looks like. I mean, there could be a, a, a figure on that that he goes, holy shit, I don't care about wrestling. Anymore. You know, Because like, I, I think he found he refound his love for pro wrestling and refound his love for, for, for the art of it in Japan. And I think that can't really put a, a price tag on but WWE might put a price tag on it and that's that's going to be the big issue and, and again like we say why this is so important because if they if these figures are gigantic then you have a guy like a juice robinson who i i believe if, if, if given similar offers he would always pick new japan 100 percent of the time he's going to pick new japan if given the same dollar amount but if the dollar amount is is, is astronomically bigger than new japan then i don't see I, I mean how do you pass that up how do you pass up generational wealth or whatever you, you know to, to go and, and follow your passion project I think at some point you go, oh, shit, well, all right, I guess I'll go here. So I say my gut says he's going to go New Japan, but I don't know what's on the, you know, I don't know what that check looks like. We got a lot coming together for SummerSlam. Uh, Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, we've torn that to shreds a million times. Yeah, that's not even um, funny anymore. We'll just let Alexa Bliss, Ronda Rousey, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Bludgeon Brothers versus TBA. Always tough TBA. Braun Strowman well, versus Well, they're doing that SmackDown fan people because like, people are gonna be like oh you idiot they're doing the tag tournament they're doing the tag tournament. this is not a detailed preview we're just uh, yeah exactly no i know but i i we i know we already got a tweet we already somebody already paused that in between and got a tweet like oh you idiot like follow yeah. smackdown you don't watch smackdown like the time that i i dare not remember that alexa bliss can dislocate her elbow and i got like 45 notifications about oh she did it on the the june 18th the smackdown i'm like okay i don't know dude sorry uh braun Strowman, kevin owens which they've been building for and months. Uh, Dolph Ziggler, Seth Rollins again. Uh, this one is not an Iron Iron Man match, I don't believe. And Carmella versus Becky Lynch. Your first quick impression of the tentative SummerSlam card.
quick and dirty, Rich. You like <sighs> it or you don't like it? Uh, yeah, not really. I don't really like it at all. I mean, Ziggler versus Seth Rollins, we kind of saw what they did at the Iron Man match. Now this is a normal singles match. I'm not too excited about that. Uh, Styles and Samoa Joe I'm into. That should be pretty fun. Uh, Styles, though, like we kind of alluded to last week, he's not really having a great year. And, and Samoa Joe I love, but yeah, it's really, I, I don't know. I hope that AJ brings his A game here against Joe, but we don't know. And then otherwise, I mean, I'm interested in Rousey and Bliss, but I don't know as a match it's going to be all that great. And then Brock and, and Roman, I mean, he's, that I'm interested in just because it's going to be a total shit show. And that'll be fun. It'll be kind of whatever that is. But I, So I want to see the match, but I'm not like excited to see the match itself. I'm excited to see sort of all the hysteria around it. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. And, and Braun Strowman, Kevin, that, that doesn't matter for me. So uh, not loving SummerSlam right now, to be honest. Now, they got to get these women's titles off of Bliss and Carmella. It'd be so much better if it was Becky Lynch and Asuka. You know what I mean? Like, that upset already 10 times what it would be for, for, before. And then, yeah, like, because with anybody. Be, yeah. Because, look, because for this main roster, I don't give a shit about the shitty stories that they tell. I just want good matches. Right. So, for my purposes, I want Bliss and Carmella out of here. I, I That shit does nothing for me. So, as far as that goes. I want to see Brock Lesnar beat Roman Reigns again. I want to see Brock Lesnar beat Roman Reigns like <laughs> just six keep more working times. On, keep working on like just one month deals. Just keep fucking yeah. beating him. I, I cannot get enough of that. I cannot get enough of the meltdown. Like 2023, they're like, all right, look, Brock has to lose now. There's no way that he could win again. And then, yeah, that'd be pretty funny. What do you think of the, the theory that uh, Roman wins and then Braun cashes in? I think that uh, I would definitely not do that because I think that just kind of puts you in the same weird predicament you've been in for a long time. I say just go... You're gonna do the Roman thing, just fucking do it. Just go in and and, and, and take your lumps and, and figure it out from there. But yeah, doing the kind of the backhanded, you know, oh he lost again to Braun thing. They've done the cashing thing with him before, so it's just really stupid if that happens. But I look, I'm all in on fucking trolling Roman Reigns fans. I think they're obnoxious. You know, I, so I, I would be all about that. I think that'd be a lot of fun. As yeah, a, but as I, I want to see him either sink or swim. You know what I mean? I almost think it would be, you talk about a better troll. The better troll would be he's main eventing, he's the champion, nothing's in his way, and, and sh- nobody gives a shit, and they all boo his matches, and, and the st- stuff still sucks. I think that's way worse. The kind of Because now you've always got the, the back pocket thing of, oh, well, oh, he hasn't really had a full reign, or he hasn't had this, and they're, they're screwing him, and conspiracy theories and all this. I want them to say, hey, Roman's our guy, he's the champion, here we go, and I want to still see how shows suck and ratings suck, and, and fans shit on all the matches and stuff, for them to realize, oh, wait, hold on a minute, this is actually an issue. So I want them to meet, I want, to, I want them to kind of meet their maker finally. There's been a lot of, I mean, it's basically been excuse-making for, for three years with him. So I'm really interested in it just being, finally, let's let's go, let's put the let's put it to the fire and see what's actually going to happen with this Roman Reigns thing. But uh, I'm sure they're not going to. Yeah, I disagree. I want them to troll Roman Reigns fans for eternity. <laughs> Okay, that's... I, that's what I want. I find that fun. I, fi- I, I find the crowd reactions fun. I, I find the Twitter meltdowns fun. But they're still going to shit on him, even if he's the champion. That's my point, is that I think yeah, it's almost I, I hear 